Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> the Room. This episode has been a long time coming. The movie flabbergasted us when we saw it back around 2012, that was Sharon and I. But while we could have got it covered then, during the height of its niche infamy, it's been slightly subsided in more recent years, uh, we have held back to see if it might get a British DVD release or mainstream awareness or even become available just to, on Amazon Video to buy. You know, like movies are. But it's not. So we've, we've also been learning about the making of the film since then, and some of the extraordinary goings-on behind the scenes are more bizarre than the room itself. For the uninitiated, we will explain. For those familiar with this film, we're going to give you even more to laugh about and puzzle over. And with us, we have our good friends Jason Chewy Slate. You look beautiful today. Can I kiss you? Oh, you little brat. And Bill Bloodworth. And how is your sex life? <laughs> it's great, Johnny. And Aaron Lecluse. Nice to see you, Denny. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> hey, everyone. Let's go outside again. Of Monday Night Magic, among other podcasts. Usually these guys accompany us on the Bad Reviews Against Humanity shows, but now we have a movie to chew over, and I don't think there is anything chewier than The Room. I would advise listening to our show before watching The Room to better appreciate the film. Although, if you are going to watch The Room, see it with a bunch of slightly drunken but not too drunken friends. And not on a third date with a girl you've only just met. <laughs> Chewy. Because we're talking about it possibly... Worked. We're talking about possibly the best, worst movie ever made. One so confusingly structured and awkwardly delivered that it is baffling and hilarious to watch. It is the brainchild of one Tommy Wiseau, writer, producer, director. Very little is known about the background of this mysterious man. In fact, it remains one of the abiding mysteries of the book on this film's making, The Disaster Artist by Tom Bissell and Greg Sestero, who also co-stars in this film as Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. And that's being made, it's, being, it's already been made, it's being released as a film with James Franco and Dave Franco and Seth Rogen that I'm really looking forward to. In fact, we recorded the show now, so everyone's all on the same page when that film comes out on its probably quite limited release. <clears throat> Tommy Wiseau, in real life, is a short, peculiar, potato-faced, scrawny yet muscular, possessing of long, luxurious black hair, eyelids in permanent lopsided droop, a quizzical mouth, and an unplaceable European accent. He delivers lines he wrote as if he had just heard them for the first time and cannot comprehend their basic meaning. Funding the entire $6 million production. He's the $6 million man. Oh my God, it explains so much. That was his code to us. Uh, funding the entire $6 million production himself with money he will not explain the source of. He was consistently late on set and somewhat tyrannical, making extravagant and pointless expenditures like two kinds of camera with entirely different film, hiring sets that look fake when real houses were available, and firing anyone who disagreed with him. Way too many people had their jobs added to or changed entirely, and the overall feeling during production from everyone who wasn't Tommy, and probably Tommy as well, was confusion, no nervousness, exhaustion, delirium, and incredulousness. I'm still convinced the whole thing was a money laundering project. It's, it's, <laughs> it feels like the producers? It's, no, because it would be like an Adam Sandler comedy if it was. 
Adam Sandler yeah. is a money laundering. No, hack. no, 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 no. In the sense that this was made to get rid of money. Adam Sandler comedies make money. Oh my God! So they went, hey, we're going to give the money to Tommy Wiseau. He'll do something with it. But you know, it'll be gone. And he did. That's untraceable. The film was, but this is the sort of thing that he's going to get um, investigated by the IRS, and Tommy will squeal on you. The film was promoted almost exclusively, this is from Wikipedia, through a single billboard in Hollywood located on Highland Avenue, just north of the fountain, featuring an image of Wiseau refers to as evil man, an extreme close-up of his own face with one eye in mid-blink. Although more conventional artwork was created for the film featuring the main character's faces emblazoned over the Golden Gate Bridge, Wiseau chose the evil man for what he regarded as its provocative quality around the time of the film's release. The image led many passers-by to believe that The Room was a horror film. Because when you see that face staring at you and it's huge, you're thinking it's like this thing could take on King Kong and win. We took 72 promotional shots. (laughs) And that That was was the the best best one. We even had to Photoshop it. Uh, Wiseau also paid for a small television and print campaign in and around Los Angeles with taglines calling the room a film with the passion of Tennessee Williams. That, it's got the quote, but it doesn't actually specifically name the source of who said that. <laughs> Does Tommy Wiseau gonna, said that. I was going to say, I'll give you three guesses. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing, folks. Uh, and this, this becomes really clear if you uh, uh, read the book. Tommy Wiseau wanted and wants probably to be Tennessee Williams. This was his magnum opus drama. This is his cat on a hot tin roof. Despite the film's failure to enjoy immediate success, Wiseau paid to keep the billboard up for over five years at a cost of $5,000 a month. See? Money laundering. It's bizarre. But again, it's really out in the open money launder. I would say that. But then again, 17 million dollars as insurance claimed on the undamaged Mar-a-Lago resort. Yeah, I suppose that like bigger money scams have been uh, happening just in the past week. It's confusing because we're used to seeing financial scams going the other way. Yeah. When asked how he managed to afford <laughs> its bizarre imagery and longevity led to it becoming a minor tourist attraction. When asked how he managed to afford to keep the billboard up for so long in such a prominent location, we so responded well, we like the location and we like the billboards, so we feel that people should see the room. That's not answering the question. <laughs> and that is how Tommy answers a question. He doesn't. He is, to be clear, the absolute perfect kind of person to create a nanar, a film that is so bad it's good, but one that achieves an almost brilliant appeal because everything about it is so absurdly chosen. This is uh, this for me still is at the top, above Troll Two above Birdemic. What we're going to do tonight is to take you through each scene of the room one by one and note what happens and the strange things that occur. Because watching it is baffling. And uh, Bill Bloodworth, who literally only saw it for the first time yesterday, uh, has got all of this stuff fresh. Uh, Aaron, just a couple of days ago, uh, has got a, a stack of notes. Chewie's watched it twice, once with a date. What the hell was that like? <laughs> uh, not as bad as you seem to think. It sounded I- bad. I, I told her we're going to watch one of the worst films ever made. She's like, great, don't tell anything else. This sounds awesome. Okay. You know, Did she laugh? In between making horrified faces, yeah. 
I thought you were going to say, in between making out. I couldn't. I could not make out while Tommy Wiseau is trying to bone repeatedly. (laughs) I couldn't keep my dinner down while Tommy Wiseau was trying to bone. She was making gagging noises last night. It was so horrible. It was so much worse this time. We've seen this a multitude of times over the years, but this one really was sickening. Absolutely. It is is a very different experience watching it after having read The Disaster Artist. Yeah, because you know about what that poor girl was going through. Yes, exactly. It is effectively an erotic... I, w- I want to say thriller, but it's more of a drama. Mm. Like Jade with Linda Fiorentino is an erotic thriller. That's where a um, femme fatale gets men wrapped around her little finger. Uh, but this, it's more of a sort of a relationship drama with sex thrown in apropos of nothing. Like, like I was going to say randomly. Yeah, ra- because like, he likes he wanted a boob in his yeah in his movie. Just for starters, I think he wanted to sort of like film himself having sex, partly out of narcissism, which he clearly suffers from, uh, and then he wanted to film Greg, who plays Mark, having sex for many complicated reasons. We'll go into later. He and Greg ha- still to this day have a very complicated relationship. They're friends, but Greg is weary all the time. <laughs> But he's still around. But he's still around. We will discuss that later. He's piglet to Tommy Wiseau's poo. He is a bit. I don't think anyone wants to be Tommy Wiseau's poo. (laughs) 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 Um, You're such a kidder. (laughs) And then they threw in the scene with Mike and Michelle just so that it wouldn't look weird that everybody else was having sex. (laughs) It looks weirder. It really does. How could you call those faces that Mike about. makes? I have sex in my friend's house all the time. Oh, yeah, That's I sneak in there. such an odd moment. But anyway, uh, we'll come we'll to come that, to that in, in a minute. Uh, listen, <laughs> I, I just have a question while yeah. we're on the subject of, of, of Tommy Wiseau. Did anyone else in their DVD have an ad for Tommy Wiseau underwear? Yep. Yes. I, I don't okay. think I did. Uh, what, I, oh. I watched the behind the scenes. What is it? What is it? Is it? I've seen the one where it's like to be or not to be. No, no. It's what do you want to be? On paper in the DVD case. Ew. Oh. Weezo brand yeah, briefs. You can you can you can buy it apparently. I I don't know where. Uh, apparently on his website. So TommyWeezo.com. Are they worn already? I <laughs> hope not. But my guess is yes. Come to my vending machine. <laughs> Okay, so we begin with production. You see, if you haven't seen the show, the movie, and you heard him make that little laugh, no, that's really it. Yeah, and it happens all the time. It's, it's so kind creepy. of uncomfortable. I, I, it feels like it's been added in post, like digitally. Put a laugh in here. Everything he said was added in post. We begin with the production value shots of San Francisco. I don't think it was actually filmed in San Francisco. I think it was filmed in L.A. and then filmed in L.A. in Hollywood. San Francisco. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they... so that wasn't stock footage. They were actually out there shooting oh, right. stock footage. <laughs> and so I have a feeling they bumped into the crew that used to do Full House on the way and just asked for shots. There are there are a lot. I mean, I, I we are not familiar with that, like American daytime TV. Not really. We've only ever seen it parodied on things like Friends, Days of Our Lives, and stuff like that. But this whole thing feels really daytime TV. And Sharon said, "Is this really worse than Days of Our Lives?" And I said, honestly, yes. yes, because Days of Our Lives, while it's claptrap of the highest order and just like derivative, just the same storylines of my evil twin brother and, you know, Mary sleeping with Malone, does at least make some sort of sense. Like characters have a like a, a narrative through flow day in, day out, week in, week out, even if it's on every day of the week 
for decades, mm. like days of our the lives. The actors can at least hit their marks and get their lines out without yeah. sounding like they'd rather be asleep. Yeah, but this is like that, just so mismanaged that that everyone says things that as though what they're saying is awkward and not really what they're thinking. So, so you've got lots of uh, shots of San Francisco with this weird poppy. Johnny comes home and he gives Lisa a sexy red dress. Can you explain what happens next with Denny? Because basically, like at the moment, we're just seeing a guy coming home, giving his girl girlfriend, wife-to-be, we're told, in a month. They do time future compression. Wife. Future wife. They say they're going to get married in a month, which means, like, when you plan a wedding, that's really not far off. Mm. Which means that the time compression that we see in this film, it all had to happen within less than a month. Didn't it? Yes, and the terminology yeah. is a little bit off because he uses future wife enough times that you start to think, does he actually not know the word fiancé? Yeah. I, I get the feeling that either he didn't know it or when he said it, it didn't sound right even to him because nobody says fiancé. Then Denny comes in. Who's Denny? I wish I knew. <laughs> I didn't know who Denny was until way later in the movie when they actually have someone ask who he is. Who's Denny for real, or who's Denny as far as we know at this point? Because as far as we know at this point, this dude walks in <laughs> and then wants to watch them have sex. We have to say at this point, because that's the thing. If they're going to hide important information like that until later, you have to go with what they're saying and the information they're giving you. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. A weird, creepy little dude creepy neighbor of comes around. indeterminate age. Yeah, I was going to say, physically he and looks mentally. 18, he acts 12? It, if that. I, I don't he know. Does, he does say at one point he can't stay to watch them because he has homework. Yeah. Honestly, if this kid had a baseball cap with a propeller on it, I would not be surprised. <laughs> It would be a safety warning for others. Yeah. They, they give him, like, they, they say, we're going to go upstairs now. Like, Johnny says he's going to go take a, take a, sorry, Tommy. Oh, jeez. It started. I can't separate the two. Johnny says he's going to go take a nap. Lisa says, yeah, I'm going to join him. They both give him kind of that expression. Denny eats an apple and looks up the stairs in a sort of a creepy-ass way. Um, but again, See, that's the we point. don't know if this is intentional. Is Denny supposed to be creepy or is it just us? I don't know. But at this stage in, in anything approaching real life, OK, at that point, you see Denny out. You close the door behind him. You don't leave him downstairs when you go upstairs to Bone to possibly steal sugar from the kitchen. I don't know what he's doing down there. But then he comes up and they have an awkward pillow fight. And then sort of collapse on the bed, like fully clothed, and there's this weird, creepy threesome vibe the whole time. And you're wondering. <laughs> the music did not help. Yeah. You're wondering, hang on, is Denny even of age? Are they about to become felons? Is this what this movie is? Is that what's about to happen? <laughs> but no, um, Johnny goes sort of, sort of, yeah, you kind of need to go now, Denny. And Denny sort of goes, no, and leaves. But. This is but never mentioned says, ever again, yeah, I, really. I like to watch you guys. Ugh. He actually says yeah. that. So is that something yeah. he does? <laughs> I, I think he means in the script, I just like to watch you guys. No, I can't say it without it sounding creepy. The intention, I believe, is that, like, Denny is... Uh, imagining one day when he will be grown up and have a, a, a future wife of his own uh, with a sexy red dress. And in the meantime, oh. he is happy just to observe and attempt to emulate Johnny and his 
life and I still I can't say any of that without right. it sounding creepy your mum uh, could maybe say well, if, if, if she sees you two like her married son or daughter with her husband or wife uh, like together being affectionate with each other your mum could say I like seeing you together uh, and I, I like to watch you two together but in that tone of voice, that's maybe the only way it's not creepy. The, the creepy bit is the word watch. I like seeing yeah. you two yeah. together is one thing. I like to watch you adds an element of intentionality to it that should not be there. It really d- needs to be done with sweaty palm rubbing at that point. <laughs> uh, I just, the I, amount of I, times I, I've written ew in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I also feel like this scene kind of sets the tone for the entire rest of the film. Yeah. Because up in... Until that point, you're kind of like, yeah, the production value is not great. The dialogue isn't great. And then they get upstairs and this weird pillow fight ensues. And then Denny walks in and they just join in with the pillow fight and everybody's laughing. And this is not not the correct correct reaction when a creepy kid interrupts sexy time. That's not like everything's off. Yeah, under those circumstances, if a creepy kid interrupts sexy time and you guys were feeling sexy, you st- like one of you stands up and goes, "Oh, oh, 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 Denny, Denny, I am so sorry." Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, we're gonna like, uh, we'll see it. We're gonna see you later, but um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you out, uh, and then you, you take him down the stairs and you let him out the front door and you fucking double lock it. There is actually, I, I, <laughs> take his key away. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just a I can't to seem me. to get in, guys. Yes, we know. <laughs> it seems to be okay, piled up against the door. Um, there is there is one way that you could do this scene um, and, and strip out some of that. You'd have to adjust it. The people acting in it would really have to know what they were doing because it's a really fine... Well, one. that's not going to work. If, no, no, no. I realise <laughs> that. If Denny was actually like 11... Yeah. He's yes. a neighbour kid and he comes upstairs and he has no idea what's going on in that room and both of them just sort of sit up, roll their eyes at each other and it suddenly becomes much more chilled and friendly for a few minutes and then they kick him out. Especially, in I got the like vibe this. that he was supposed to be like a 12-year-old who unfortunately was not portrayed by a 12-year-old. Yeah. Because if you if you mentally imagine that he's a kid, a lot of the stuff that he does makes more sense. Yeah. 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 Uh, but at the same time, Johnny's got him a flat. You can't let a kid stay in a flat on no. his own. He'd, well, he'd have to be living with them if the point is Johnny's taking him under his wing. But, see, this is the other thing. It's not just Denny. Denny's creepiness is really amplified by the way the adults around him behave, or specifically the way they don't behave. At no point does Tommy go... Uh, sorry, does Johnny... We're doing it now. Sorry. At no point <laughs> does Johnny go, right, okay, I'm actually really annoyed now that he's interrupting my alone time with Lisa. My sexy At time. At no point does Lisa roll her eyes and kind of go, uh, th- he shouldn't really be here. You yeah. know what I mean? Something of that nature needs to be going on somewhere. But it's just like, so she's there, and he's there, and now this character's come and inserted himself into the situation and everybody's okay, okay with, with this. this. Mm. Oh. The age gap between Lisa and Denny is actually pretty small. Yeah. It's like it's like Ted and Missy. Wasn't like actually wasn't the guy playing Denny older than anyone else on set? Might, apart from possibly Tommy Rizzo. Yeah. Apart from Tommy, who is of indeterminate age, he claims twenty-eight. He's still City miles. If it that wasn't awkward enough, we're not even in minute three yet. The very worst sex scene ever occurs. Oh, All right, so I'm going to describe we this. Make it clear before we get to the sex. Denny has left now. Denny just walked. <laughs> he walked towards the stairs, turned and looked at them, and then went downstairs. We never see him leave, and oh. as far as we know, he's still standing there, like looking over 
the bottom floor oh, is just watching. God, now you've head cannoned that for me. It makes so much sense. <laughs> he's just claimed he likes the to bottom watch and them. had his own little soliloquy, or maybe he's singing like somewhere out there from Favel Goes West or something, because he just looks so forlorn when he's leaving. Methinks a spy I shall play. And uh, and yeah, you know he's there. He's got his um, he's got his baby Ruth, and he's sitting and he's watching them and eating. <laughs> oh no no Cheetos. <laughs> so the very worst sex scene ever happens. Why is it the very worst sex scene? Because someone want to like frame this picture for people's minds, like no. describe no. this wad of cookie dough on top uh, of Lisa. I'll take on this task. All right. So imagine missionary sex where you have the guy yeah, on top I'm there I'm there now imagine you've taken the guy and you've migrated him a foot and a half higher up on the girl now yeah. imagine the sex continues about navel level because um, that's about what it looked like okay <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm there I'm there I'm imagining that one you sex scene be, from the room you shouldn't be that's where it was <laughs> oh yeah sorry the two sex scenes from the room because he literally uses footage from this first scene for later because it's, yeah, fa- it's fairly it. obvious it's really she said funny. no I'm not doing that again did anybody else notice, by the way, there's a really awkward moment. There's a really awkward moment. Oh, there's a really awkward moment. You're going to have to pick this one out of a lineup of 10,000. specifically a moment where I was like, oh my God, totally out of the, the character elements and just thinking, Juliet, you poor, poor girl. Basically, it seems as though she's positioned the sheet in such a way that it's tucked in between them. So yes. that he's not actually touching her, and then he grabs hold of the sheet and pushes it, it aside. And goes, no, I need skin on skin. And it's like, oh god, oh. give her some way to protect herself, please. And you don't get to see it in in this scene, but when he when uh, Tommy wakes up the next morning and like um, sniffs a rose and then walks to the bathroom, you must see his ass. That was part of his uh, his rider. You've just seen his ass for the entirety of the very worst sex scene ever. Oh, you, I, I don't think you really saw the full crack, but this <laughs> time, like, you see the crack. You see, okay, okay. He does one of those naked butt in the moonlight walks out of right. Loaded Weapon 1. Okay, he does, he does a thing with the pelvic thrusting Ugh. where it's not actually his entire pelvis, he's just clutching and releasing his ass muscle. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. you know what? You made yeah. some really good tacos for tea, Sharon. Thank you. They were fantastic. I want to hold on to them. Never <laughs> mention that imagery again. <laughs> ever in the history of the world. <laughs> yeah. So after Tommy, Johnny and uh, Lisa, three people, but it's actually only two people, uh, have uh, Tommy had, and Tommy's ego have had sex, uh, and when I say sex, it's more like Tommy like lying on top of her, like smooching at her, and like trying to jiggle her around so that you can see as much nipple as possible. Oh, this poor girl, and she yeah. looks so young. She still has all her puppy fat, and she's such a, a cute, sweet-looking girl. Yeah. This, is, this is just unfair. Totally miscast as a femme fatale. Hmm. Like, it needs to be kind of a butter wouldn't melt in her mouth, but then she can just turn and be, like, really, like, venomous. Like, basically, she was too young, too unprepared for this kind of role. Nothing could uh, prepare you for this. So Lisa's mother arrives for a chat, and she became your favorite character. What's her name? She it's did, Claudette. 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 Although we don't find out her name until much later in the film. Way right? later. And in fact, someone just references her as Claudette, and you go, Ooh. I think it's Mike uh, in yeah. the alleyway. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And Claudette was there. She was? Um, well, so, like, like, Claudette? It's really difficult to really to exactly place when you, if you've not made notes, what gets said in each 
discussion. Like, I, I'm saying Claudette came to visit, and most people who've seen the room once or twice are like, I can't remember what Claudette said here. Was this where she said, well, it's official, I definitely have cancer. That's not no, that's this. the that's second like, one. That's I know, this. exactly. But that sticks in the mind Spoiler so much. Spoiler so alert, think that must have been so that. much for the story. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that is not me in any way making light of cancer. I am making very heavy of the fact that they make so light of cancer. Um, We're not there yet. Yeah, but we're not there yet. Basically, just Claudette say, you should marry uh, Tommy. He would be good for you. She, well, my note on this scene was, will you please stop undermining your daughter? She yeah. completely shreds any semblance of, of self-confidence or ability to take care of herself that Lisa might have. But wasn't it already established that, like, before this, that they were going to get married in a month anyway? Nothing was established. No. Oh, okay. Nothing. Nothing at all. He comes home, they have sex. Uh, Lisa calls Mark. Um, does she just say, hey, Mark? No, she says, hey, baby. We hey, don't baby. find yeah. out this guy's name until after the not-quite-sex scene. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. <clears throat> we so need... my question to you is, where was Mark? <laughs> uh, he, was he was sitting in busy. his car, waiting with his phone, and then she called yeah. him in a parked yeah. car. In a parked car. Now, mind you, the entire time... He is holding as still as possible, like there's someone with a gun to his neck. Yeah. He's just looking forward, talking on the phone. He's busy sitting in a parked car doing nothing. But he says he's busy. My guess is uh, he claimed um, that he was going to an audition, and he just went and sat in the parking lot and stared at the wall. Is that how he got in this movie? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> oh. uh, that he was method acting this one, and that's actually what Mark had had to do. Like I, I say, he claimed he claimed to whom? We don't know if Mark's connected to anyone. If Mark has a roommate, where Mark lives, what? Oh no, no we Mark know Mark does. lives in this building. She yeah, he lives in that building. Lives oh, he lives building. in the building, right? Yeah. So he's not far away, sat in a car, talking on his phone. But the thing about Greg Sestero's acting, he's disinterested. And disingenuous the whole time. Like, the whole time it's like he's, it's, uh, Johnny is twisting his arm, not sorry, Tommy is twisting his arm behind his back and saying, be in my movie, it will be good for you, it will raise your profile. And he is becoming, like, it's not a gradual thing where like over the course of filming he becomes more desperate to get away. You're just very aware that he wishes he wasn't there. And he speaks to Lisa much like Napoleon Dynamite. He's like, uh, hey, Lisa. Yeah, could you bring me my chapstick? I don't want to come visit. God. I don't want to come. God. But he didn't want to Why be. Why are you doing this to me? God. He didn't want to be Mark. He was never supposed to be yeah. Mark. He was he was line producing this as a favor to Tommy. He was not supposed to be this involved. But then the original Mark was, was like, edged out by Tommy. Like, they had a weird Basically, contractual yeah. obligation, and Tommy went, yes, thanks for coming, Mark, bye. Well, Tommy really wanted Greg to play this role. Okay, you could just have stopped with, Tommy really wanted Greg, full stop, <laughs> and still does. Well, indeed. Um, but he, he basically kept pulling stunts like getting Greg to come in to play the scene and telling everybody, oh, no, 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 we're just blocking it with Greg. Yeah. We'll do it properly when... Who's yeah, fudge, but could you maybe film this one just for reference? And yeah. basically, he was secretly, covertly filming the scenes he wanted for the room that, with the actor he wanted. That wow. made me absolutely die. The idea that he was so unwilling to simply fire this guy, <laughs> that he was willing to waste money on filming effectively the entire film twice. Yeah, once with one mark, once with another mark. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, if you want wow. to talk about wasted money. So um, he was Doctor Strange loving this? Pretty much, yeah. That's uh, weird. So anyway, Lisa seduces a disinterested Mark. Uh, like he comes in, he's like, hey, how's it going, Lisa? And like, is this where she goes, ooh, it's hot in here. I better take off all my clothes. No, no, that's a bit later. But th- oh, there's, there's two things, actually, that... Um, is, is this where she says, can I get you a drink? Because she does that she a does lot. She does do that a lot. In, when they're having the conversation in the car, this is the first sort of real moment of... Uh, almost shot, reverse shot in somebody's motivations because one of the things that she said to her mother is, I want to do what I want to do. I, you know, basically, I don't want people telling me how I should live my life. And, and okay, yeah, you might not like the way she's doing it, but you can kind of get behind that as a motivation. She says to Mark, with barely a breath in between the two halves of this sentence, I'm going to do what I want to do. What do you think I should do? <laughs> What? I thought that was intentional. <laughs> it, it, it may well have been, but it basically presents Lisa as the most confused individual ever. Mm. And this sex scene that establishes between her and Mark, it's mainly, again, canoodling, and it's on, on the stairs, yeah, which looks really uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's a staircase at that. Yeah. There is no comfortable way you could possibly do that. She's plaited around it like a pretzel. Her and he's... back must have been so bruised by the end of that. Uh, and uh, again, they, they kiss like, I would imagine, cousins kissing out there in, in that kind of... There's no <gasps> ca- uh, charisma, there's no heat, there's nothing. But uh, again, Greg is, seems to be apologetic in what he's doing. Like, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. Uh, oh, we got to keep doing this. He's making us... Uh, I, I'm like... I got the vibe watching that, that... As long as he was sitting down, Mark was reasonable. The second he stood up, it was like, wait for it, wait oh, for it. Oh, you're making me do stuff? Hmm. And imagine... like, no, no, I can't. Tommy's my, I mean, Johnny, damn it, now you got me doing it. Other guy is my best friend. I can't Johnny's stand my up, best make friend. out. As soon as I stand up, all the blood flows down, and here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also imagine, imagine trying to kiss uh, Lisa, and then just like across from you, might be ten feet away, is the dead-eyed... Tommy Wiseau standing staring at you both. Like, I didn't say cut, carry on. I really thought you were going to say, and then imagine 10 feet away, Denny is just standing there watching. (laughs) (laughs) Denny out the window with popcorn. Um, So, Johnny buys flowers in the most weirdly awkward casual exchange ever filmed, I think. It's. Hi. Can I help you? Yeah, can I have a dozen red roses, please? Oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. Here you go. That's me. How much is it? It'll be $18. Here you go. Keep the change. Hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. How, how did you not recognize him? That guy. Like, when that guy walks into your shop, you know when that guy walks into your shop. This guy genuinely wants to, wanted to be, slash, I'm not sure about now, a vampire. Like, that was, like, he was, like, I, like e- even, like, up to the point they were n- beginning to film the room, he was saying to the, um, the, the script supervisor, you know, maybe he's a vampire. And it's, like, oh, seriously, <laughs> that, that changes everything if he's a vampire. <laughs> it's, like, I'm oh, just thinking of, you know, For new start, ideas. we can't film in the daytime Well, anymore. maybe he's a day vampire, you know, they have those now. Don't worry about it. 
Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The amount of times people say, specifically Lisa tends to say, don't worry about it. Lisa says it quite a lot. Johnny mm-hmm. says it quite a lot. Um, but, but with the way Lisa But Lisa says doesn't it, want to talk about it. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it right now. You know, and can we do something else? Can we go? Can you go? Uh, you know, end this conversation, move to the next scene, which is frequently her with that person again. Um, but like she says, don't worry about it in a way that it's like, no, no, no. What you're asking about, it really merits examination. Like this could be um, Tommy Wiseau's point to us of say, maybe you should worry about it. Maybe Johnny's great weakness was saying, don't worry about. Except for the fact that Tommy Wiseau in real life, whenever queried about something that was glaringly wrong in the script, said, don't worry about it. In a kind of, oh, it'll all blow over. You know, I'm a professional at this kind of thing. No, you're ruddy not, sir. I need to know how we are feeding these people this weekend. Don't worry about it. Before Johnny shows up, there's a, a, a knock on the door because for some reason he didn't just walk oh, in this God, time. And it's yes. Denny. It's Denny. What does he say? Well, first, like he asks if Johnny's there and she goes, I'm really busy right now. Do you want something to drink? Which what? is a good way to get someone into your house when you're really, really busy drinking and being underfoot, especially and, Denny. And this is when uh, the the line happens where uh, he says, you look beautiful today. Can I kiss you? Yep. <laughs> you're such a little brat. And his response is, it's just a joke. I'm just I a love joke. you, Johnny. Yeah. What? <laughs> Again, you like. <sighs> for reference, just so you know, the actor for him is three years older than her. Yeah, 26. I think that he was probably the uh, the oldest person on the set. I'm not sure about Chris R. I don't think Chris R. meant to be in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he tripped. No. I think he was the one who showed up to get that billboard money. Yeah. <laughs> Best actor, though, honestly. Oh, in this whole thing, he gives he gives it his full and all. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, she shoes him away. Like, he says he really needs to talk to Johnny, and she says he'll be back any moment now, and he says, I'm really busy, and then retreats. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say. I, he, I think his line is, I got to go. Yeah. I gotta go, I'm really busy. It's like, well, wait two seconds, Johnny will turn up, you may get another chance. Huh? <laughs> I hear my mom, I gotta go to bed. You look really beautiful, Johnny. Can I kiss you? <laughs> You're such a kid, or Denny? Oh, hi, Denny. <laughs> and every time one of them says that, Denny dies a little inside. Yes. Um... So, so yeah, Johnny didn't get his promotion. He's sad about it. And Lisa begins... No, that's not till later, isn't it? No, it's here. No, no, this it is, is here, here. yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. And he, express, uh, he expresses that in the best possible way, which is to sort of... Like, this is one of the things that Tommy Wiseau is incredible at. He says, like, three or four things close together in a way that just doesn't flow. It, like it's the the infamous rooftop line that's coming up. You all know the one I'm talking about. Is maybe oh, yeah. the the best example of this. But the whole they lied, they didn't keep their promise, uh, they they betray me, and I don't care anymore. And I'm like it's technically all of those go together, but the way he's saying it sounds like this sort of mishmash of whining and just trying to get the words out. You didn't get it, did you? But son of a bitch told me that I would get it within three months. I saved them bundles. They're crazy. I don't think I will ever get it. They betrayed me. They didn't keep their promise. They tricked me and I don't care anymore. Did you tell them how much you saved them? Of course. What do you think? They already put my ideas into practice. The bank saves money and they are using me and I am the fool. 
I still love you. You're the only one who does. It's so bizarre as a method of acting. It also doesn't give his um, his scene mates any time to respond in any way to what he's saying. Yeah. Which is why I think you get so many... There's a lot of shot-reverse shot in this. Like, yeah. he didn't know how to do any other kind of shot. Yeah. Um, and, and so many of the... Uh, the reverse shot bits you cut to an actor who's literally not doing anything because they're not being given the space mm. to respond in any way uh, this is also the scene where we find out that lisa is not just a kept woman she apparently mm. is in the quote computer business unquote is that so? very competitive she does say that she says it's very competitive and yes she's it's too, too it competitive really difficult to get clients computers are competitive you guys they are, especially in 2003. Yeah, especially when we have, to date, seen absolutely no evidence that you are capable of anything in that particular field. I don't think they I've ever seen front of a computer. They don't even have a computer in their house. Their TV is behind a chair. It's <laughs> <laughs> so awkwardly placed. How do you watch TV with a fucking hey, compact mirror? I'll Take tell care you, of that you TV don't. placement by the end of the movie. It'll be fine. Sure. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It's no longer it. behind the chair by the end of the movie. Yes. Don't worry it's, about it. It smashed it on the ground. <laughs> he's, he's a rock he and roll. Threw it on the ground. Um, so, uh, yeah, Lisa begins her master plan here. Here's her master plan, as far as we could tell. To get him drunk and laugh and put a tie around her head. That's what we see the plan going out here. We don't know what she's doing. But later it transpires that she tells an undisclosed amount of unnamed people that he hit her. She tells her mother, is it afterwards? Yeah. Uh, Almost immediately after this scene, you have another scene where she talks to Claudette and tells her that Johnny hit her. Oh, that's it, yeah. She yeah. tells Claudette. After the recycled sex scene, right? Yeah, she tells yeah. Claudette after the recycled sex scene um, that he hit her. This is after she's fed him, like she, she makes it, like she orders him a pizza. She says, do you want some food? I don't know. I already ordered your pizza. You think of everything. And then she gets him a drink. Can I get you a drink? No, nope, not please a drink. And then she goes, get it down, yeah. And pretty much forces down. If you love down. me, you'll drink If this. you love if you me, you'll, love me, you'll drink What the hell? Yep. I mean, that, that's and death cult drinking, language, if ever I heard it. They're drinking whiskey and vodka. Not one yeah. of them is drinking whiskey and one of them is drinking. No, no, no. They're mixing whiskey and vodka as if that's a thing that you do on purpose. And as it turns out, Johnny doesn't drink. As far as I can tell, so he's like, well, no, he says he doesn't. You know, drink. I don't drink. Yeah, but, but doesn't he drink wine later on? Like some yes. of them drink wine. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, at his birthday party, he takes a drink. She gave him a taste for it, then obviously, obviously but so. Maybe that wine was in fact scotchka. But uh, yeah, no, they, she gives him like two of the hardest liquors at once in this brimful, overflowing uh, glass, so that he's sort of, I'm tired, I'm wasted, I love you, baby, and they're sort of cackling around and falling on the floor in like a 10 year old's view of what being drunk is like a 10 year old who's only seen Disney films from the 60s spiral staircase of adultery in that state I refuse yes. to believe it yeah no, I think you're right maybe she dragged him up there to have that recycled sex footage um, maybe that's why they the had to again. use the recycled sex footage yes. because, because she couldn't get him up the stairs she couldn't get him she up. couldn't get him up <laughs> yes. uh, so anyway this is when her mum visits her immediately afterwards and starts complaining about the fact that her brother's trying to uh, like get her to sell the house so that he can have money for the house or something like that and then she throws in as a sort of like now the value of the house is going up and he's seeing dollar signs 
Everything goes wrong at once. Nobody wants to help me, and I'm dying. You're not dying, Mom. I got the results of the test back. I definitely have breast cancer. Look, don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. They're curing lots of people every day. I'm sure I'll be all right. Oh, I heard Edward is talking about me. He is a hateful man. Oh, I'm so glad I divorced him. Look, don't worry about it. But she does it in a, oh, for fuck's sake, kind of way, mm. which is either astonishing levels of uh, resilience, because that would devastate most people, mm. or um, she just can't comprehend it. The, well, this is the thing about this Or whole, she's exaggerating. This whole conversation evidences a complete lack of understanding about how people interact. These are all issues that would monopolize a conversation. Any one of these topics. Mm. My brother is trying to do me out of my own house because he wants the yeah. money. I have just been diagnosed with breast cancer. My husband has just got drunk and hit me. Any one of those things is a topic of conversation. They cover all of them in the space of three minutes and then Claudette's basically like, oh, I'm sure I'll be alright. You literally just said you were dying! They also they, they, they do it in such a breezy kind of slightly bitching way that makes it seem like they talk about this stuff every day. I got cancer this week. I've got rheumatism the next week. Absolutely. The I, way I would... she says, I definitely have breast cancer, it's like he's definitely going to have to uh, replace the engine in the car. Yeah, mm. I definitely got a bunion. It's, uh... I, I <laughs> so... would say this is evidence that Tommy Wiseau does not understand how women communicate with each other in the slightest. I don't think he, he doesn't understands understand how, how people humans do communicate. communicate with each other. But yeah, no, ultimately, I think I said this when we were watching it, like, Lisa needed to, like, confront her mother, open the door, crying, and holding her eye, and like, what's, what's wrong, sweetheart? It's Johnny, he hit me. Like, you know, or just, or, or just nothing, and then, like, retreating away from her, and then having it pried out of her, and then making that the big reveal. But she sort of goes, and he hit me, and he hit you? And then, like, almost immediately, she's like, Oh, like almost defending Johnny in a, in a kind of like, oh, he hit you, but you know, he's good for you, or well, something no, along those lines. Wait, I, I think All of the reactions to these big news, the reaction to, I definitely have breast cancer, is everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. You're Don't worry about it. All the time. That's not good policy, folks, by the way. If you are diagnosed with cancer, do worry about it. And like, then when she says, he hit me, she goes, he hit you? Tommy yeah. doesn't drink. That is not the first thing you react to. <laughs> this doesn't add up at all. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, but still. No, I mean, she, it's almost now, like she's on to her game immediately. Like you've been hit in the face. Like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But, but doesn't, doesn't the conversation then still continue along the lines of um, what are you going to do about the fact that you've decided you don't love him anymore? Yeah. Like, the fact that he's apparently hit her is almost incidental. But that's the thing, and this is what the whole thing boils down to. Lisa no longer wants to be with Johnny. End of story. Like, Johnny comes home, Johnny comes marching home, and Lisa says... I'm sorry, Johnny. It's just not working out. I've got a bag of stuff already. Um, I, this is not something that I think that we can work on. It's over. Goodbye. And then leaves. End of fucking story. Johnny then mopes around and goes, I can't believe it. I don't understand. It didn't even seem like she was unhappy. She lied to me for years, seeming to be happy, but obviously wasn't. And... 
And it's then okay. Denny makes his move. <laughs> Denny makes his move on all of them separately. Play in the long game. Oh my goodness me. He, he tries each of them individually to see who's going to be the most receptive, including oh. Mark. Yeah, because like Denny, because Johnny's going to be sad, and then he can comfort him, maybe make his move there, do the old hug, and just see if that turns into something else. And uh, do the same with Lisa. Maybe do the same with Mark. Fuck it. Um, but if before that. <laughs> But before that could happen, two complete weirdos sneak into the house for sex. It's literally like uh, Lisa says, I don't want to marry him. I want to talk to you later, Mom. And then the scene ends. Two weirdos creep into the house, like in a new scene. Then, uh, like, they're actually, like, the least weird people in the whole movie. But because of that, they well, seem we like weirdos. we don't know that yet. We don't know the who moment, they are. it's like, they come in and it's like, hey, let's have some fun. This is someone else's house. What are you doing? These characters so- are Michelle, who's actually, as we find out later, a friend of uh, Lisa. And Mike, who I believe knows Johnny? Possibly. I, I will say this now, by the way. Michelle turns out to be the most stable and sensible person in the whole film. Although she's yes. pretty bad at expressing herself in a, uh, a, st- uh, like a putting your foot down kind of way of, a, yeah. of um, like ethical uh, illumination. The way that time works in this movie <laughs> makes doesn't. no sense. Whenever you see an establishing shot of somewhere in San Francisco, this is, this is what uh, my date and I figured out. When you see a shot of San Francisco, that means some amount of time is passing. Yeah. Because she she calls way back. She calls Mark and says, like, hey, baby, can I see you? And he's like, uh, sure, how about noon tomorrow? And then we see an establishing shot. That sounds shot. way too assertive for Mark. And then he walks in the door. It's more like, oh, sure, maybe like noon tomorrow or something. <laughs> I gotta go. No, you don't. You were just sitting in the car eating bonbons. <laughs> But so like I have breast cancer, he hit me. Okay, well, bye, mom. And then we see an establishing shot, and then we're back in in the house, and these two weirdos walk in, and you're like, but see, it's not a room. It's two rooms. (laughs) It's a two room, one up, one down apartment. It's got a living room area and a bedroom area. The roof area. Yeah, and a roof area. But like you know, most of the drama takes place in the uh, in one of those. Well, usually in the uh, sitting room because it's probably uh, affords the most space and they can get the most quiet. The, as far as I can tell, the the rooftop bit was on a green screen in a parking lot. Mm, yeah. That's what it, it looked was. like. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I just had a thought. The set of steps in the shed on yeah. the rooftop is yeah. the same set of steps in the bedroom that's meant to be the top of the spiral staircase that goes uh, down. The geography of this place is really hard to place. <laughs> um, so I would just like to point out that. So we just have these two strangers come in to have sex, all right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Denny has a key. Yeah. I think Denny let him in. <laughs> <laughs> I think Denny is Denny watching. Denny sat outside the window with a pair of binoculars. He's going, okay, let's see what we have for ourselves today, Denny. Because I love you don't to know watch who they are. At this point in the movie, I'm thinking, did Denny just find some people to have sex and just sit them in there? Because, <laughs> I mean, I guess kids. he could do that. I don't know what Denny does for a living. Mm. Like, this is not um, established yet. My actual note at this point in the script is still, um, da, 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 da. who is Denny? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Earlier, I'm like, there's an escalation now in my notes. So, like, at the very beginning, I'm like, who's this kid? Then it's, who is Denny? Then it's, who the fuck is Denny? And now it's like, oh, that's who Denny is. 
It's like, me, it's Johnny, the architect of your pain. <laughs> Danny is a behavioural scientist who whispers things to people and then shoves them through the front door of this house. Okay, go on in there and tell me you have breast cancer. Go. Anyway, um, so these, these two, uh, Michelle and Mike, start kissing and canoodling and feeding each other chocolate. And then she starts to go down on him. And we cut to, well, we stay on Mike's face as this actor makes the best BJ face I have ever seen in the history of film. <laughs> He's going like, that's capital. <laughs> I, I have a note here that he had an O-face when she was on her way down, which mm. makes me think that he might have not actually been as amazing as we're supposed to think. Because yeah. he is not at all synced up with her for this. Um, well, honestly, I think he's just like, oh, oh, at that point. Like, he's just being super facially expressive. He also opens his mouth so wide you can see the damn chocolate he's eating, which is a bit gross. a trickle of chocolate drool coming out the side. And then immediately, the mom walks in. And, like, you know, she walks in with Lisa and she shouts out, like, way too loud, practically breaking the fourth wall. What are these two characters doing in here? <laughs> I love the word character. What are Let these characters, characters doing there are characters in this movie. A, a just question, my liege. What are these characters doing in here? The only explanation, as you said, Bill, is Denny. There's also, like, this weird magic pixie music that was going on during the um, beginning of a blowjob. Um, although, actually, thinking about it, like, what the hell did happen? Because, like, he tries to... They try to leave, and Mike comes back and snap... Like, tr like he's trying to pull his things out from under um, the mum while she's sitting, and his uh, boxer shorts are there. Like, he's fully wearing trap. Yeah. Okay. I, I need to know the... Like... Michelle does this magical trick with her tongue where she takes his underpants off <laughs> Which is why he has that face. It all connects now. Oh, wow. I mean, I would probably make a weird face like that if my underwear were removed without my pants, too. That is a talented lady. <laughs> Cherry well, Storm's Mike's got a... nothing on this girl. Maybe <laughs> a cartoon character. Which you know is why what? she calls him a character. This movie is making more sense. I'm glad we're breaking it down. Cho <laughs> People say that chocolate is a symbol of love. People say, like... <laughs> just the way this is phrased! Yeah, it's attributed like Fox News. Like, this is just something you just made up right now. People say this. It's People just say this. Like, well, you know, uh, one of the symbols of love is chocolate. Like, that's just how you say it. Like, this is the top of my head. And then you just, uh... Feed her chocolate and then point downwards. <laughs> I don't know if you're Mike. <laughs> and Denny's like, "Oh yeah," and he starts getting into the fucking Charleston chew. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Denny turns up because he was there all along to borrow sugar and um, what, what's it? And flour. And flour and eggs. Have a stick of butter, yeah. And Claudette's like, "Don't your, doesn't your house have a kitchen? Who is this?" Have you seen a kitchen? She's very skeptical of um, the, just the fact that people keep wandering in and out. And she's, you know, <laughs> she's bewildered at the fact that they have friends, that they are young and have friends. Who, but like, when you not... are young, your friends might come and go, you know. But it's like, at this point, I get the feeling she's not acting. She just showed up and all these people keep walking in and out. And she's <laughs> like her fellow actors. Who are all these people? Are we doing a scene now? Am I on camera now? Is this actually happening? Which one of these two cameras should I look at? 
Yeah. <laughs> Who is Denny again? And then Lisa, <laughs> to make sure she entirely devastates her argument of Johnny's actually a scumbag, talks up the fact that he's been patronizing Denny in a good way, as in like he's been paying Denny to get through co- college? Question mark. Yeah, School? he's paying. He's paying his tuition. He's also apparently paying the rent on his apartment. Yeah, she he's said this when he turned kid? eighteen. Yeah, uh, Johnny got him uh, a room or uh, an apartment. Yeah. And he's paying um, for it until he graduates from school, from whatever school, school so is. If Johnny is paying I, for Denny's apartment and his college... What's Denny doing? No, no, no. Well, I was just trying <laughs> to work out... You mustn't ask. We're not how, allowed to ask. How does the situation with Chris R. arise? Oh, well, that's because of drugs. What kind she's of making, drugs? She's making a face. What kind of drugs? drugs? What are you doing? Selling them? Buying them? Anyway. Denny doesn't have any money. This much has become patently obvious. Well, he doesn't have any. It might be here in five minutes. Give we it don't five know. Minutes. <laughs> Just give it five minutes. It'll be coming along. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So, so she talks up the fact that Johnny is this actually really great guy, which is somewhat devastating to her case. This is shit that should have been said way earlier prior to the fact that she, like, she's trying to take down a character assassinate Johnny. It also might have explained who the motherfuck Denny was. Yeah, my note here um, is neighbor kid adopted with keys with an arrow pointing all the way back to my previous note of who the fuck is Denny. <laughs> <laughs> Semi-adopted. Uh, as for um, you know here, uh, the like, what kind of school is Denny going to? Um, I'm going to go ahead and put cash money on the fact that Tommy Wiseau was unfamiliar with the American education system, thus. Ooh. Not entirely sure what kind of school this 26-year-old boy man would go to. This is fair. I would not take that bet. I think you're correct. Yes. You know, and at 26, that means that when he turned 18, Johnny started paying his tuition. Mm. And it's been eight years. When's he going home? This is the thing. (laughs) Denny has a key to their house. Denny does not actually appear capable of handling a key to his own house. Nor can he buy enough sugar at the time. He comes on to borrow a cup of sugar. Sugar, flour and butter. Is What is he baking? Is he making Johnny's birthday cake? He's making Johnny cakes. (laughs) 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 I think he's using these things to smuggle drugs for Chris R. Ah, special cakes. The the first draft of the script. Special brownies. Denny turns up to ask for a cup of sugar, winks heavily. <laughs> this is when the mum says, if you don't love him, tell him. Which, by the way, is the best advice in the whole film. Is that, does she say that? It is Am not wrong? consistent yeah. with no, no, no. any of her other conversations about him either. That's exactly Yeah, no, all the rest right. of the time she's like, shut up, I don't care whether you like it or not, you're going to marry this guy and be happy. It's good advice, but it is totally counter to every other piece of advice that she gives her. An inconsistent character in the room, Sharon, I won't hear such a thing. What? Immediately Chris R like turns up and there's this weird shot that couldn't happen where you sort of you're brought behind a shed that's supposed to be the uh, opening the stairway awning which is I mean he's pulling some David Fincher shit here um the shed is too close to the wall for that shot to be possible yeah I yes. think uh, I, I'm trying not to quote directly from um Oh, what are they called? Cinema Sins. Because I hate Cinema Sins. I loathe them. They are they themselves are the breast cancer of the uh, movie critiquing industry. Except so you're saying for... that people cure them all the time. <laughs> nice. Except for the one thing that he says a lot in Cinema Sins, which is, let's have this guy eat an apple and look even more like an asshole. Which you'll remember, Danny, Danny picked up an apple out of nowhere and just started eating it. That 
Yes, what did I say about that? That bowl is full of wax, wax and fruit. plastic yes. fruit. Yes. <laughs> I picked up on that immediately. When and I was Denny doesn't Dewey. seem to realise. I'm going to go ahead and guess that Denny probably does eat wax fruit. <laughs> and it's important not to tell him it upsets him. He's just fine. Just let him eat it. It's, we've, it's non-toxic. We're fine. Good apple? Mm-hmm. Can I eat this while I watch you two do your special alone time thing from my shed? Oh, my God. He's got a plastic Charleston chew, doesn't he? <laughs> just gnawing on it, a display model. Um, so Chris R. turns up, and like I said, best actor in the movie. He's a drug dealer of sorts. He's Man, a drug he's, dealer he's and such. a character who's introduced by name immediately. Chris the, R., how's it going? Yeah. And as as I tweeted, there's a weirdly professional Michael Bay shot here as it pans from <laughs> across the blue skyline, which is obviously chroma keyed in, um, you know, with Denny standing on the right and then Chris R. enters on the left. It's a good shot. Right. Almost spoiling the fact that the Nanar can't have anything good in it. Why is he called Chris R? There Mm. is no other Chris in this movie. He does not need to be distinguished from other Chrises. He (laughs) could have just been Chris. Because that's his gang name. Duh. Obviously. So he... uh, It's vital to his character. (laughs) He asks asks Denny firmly and sternly for his money. Denny says he'll be here in five minutes, probably. Uh, And uh, then... Uh, then immediately starts grabbing him, shoving him down, pulling out his gun, which is not the same as the gun later on, by the way, so this cannot be a case of Chekhov's gun. Although it was the perfect, and I mean perfect, point where they could have... Johnny could have taken that gun mm-hmm. and tr- said, I'll dispose of it. And then, like, like he, he puts it on one side and then puts it in a little treasure chest in his, his bedroom. And like, Wait, we're like, it, oh, shit, that's Chekhov's gun. And then, like, we're always thinking about it later. It wasn't the same gun? No, no the, the, the that one there is, uh, I think it's a, a Colt, or uh, it might be a forty five, uh, but it's, the one later is a Beretta 92FS in chrome silver. So that comes even more out of nowhere, because yeah. I was operating under yeah, the Yeah, we assumed that was the same gun. Oh, yeah. so wrong, so wrong. So did I. I saw this um, uh, video on uh, uh, Chekhov's gun and the idea of, like, you know, setting something up, um, and it, it was a really great little... Um, uh, Hitchcock quote where it's like if you are going through a scene and then suddenly a bomb goes off and kills everyone that's a surprise the person in the the audience has a chance to be shocked for a, a few moments and then we move on to the next scene however if you tell them at the beginning of a 10 minute scene there is a bomb in this room and at some point it may go off then you have their attention or something along the lines of what the way that that Wait, Hitchcock did you really just knew. play an Alfred Hitchcock line right over you you speaking? Something like that. But, but he, he tended to um, uh, like really hit the nail on the head when it came to establishing tension. And so, like people like uh, Tarantino are really good at that. Like um, uh, Inglorious Bastards, um, he will start a tense scene and then slowly add new pieces of information that make things more and more tense until by the end you're chewing on the seat in front of you going god just just culminate at some point just god just oh my god and you want things to work out well but almost always they don't i couldn't resist yeah with this whole like there, there is a gun that turns up at the very end and it's one of the most important props if not the most important prop in the entire film and it just appears out of fucking nowhere you had no idea it was there and that almost like that just that single moment because it's so important breaks the whole film 
But it's even only just one. like a lingering shot of that little treasure chest at some point would have been like, the hell was that all about? And then later Something we could have been like, yeah. oh, but no. Yeah. But anyway, um, so Chris R gets uh, furious and then Johnny and Mark together at last, these two buddies come onto the rooftop and they overpower this violent gang member. Chris R snatch his gun from him and then take his ass to jail, which takes precisely a minute and 40 seconds to take him there and back. Yeah, Literally. I think they just threw him out a window. <laughs> they didn't have enough time to go to the bottom of that building. Well, Denny's convinced. Relax, okay? He's going to jail. Which apparently you just drop them off at the uh, the front there, and just again, it's 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 just down the street. Well, like oh, it's okay, outside the building. Like you couldn't even get down the stairs and back up again well, in a minute. You, you, you don't have to. Like everyone else in this film, the police are in this building. Of course yeah, they they're in the lobby. <laughs> you hear them at the end. They turn up really fucking quickly. You don't see them, but you do so, hear them. The theory, okay. Well, you know what I've just did did there? Foreshadowing. I've just given you Chekhov's gun in a way that Tommy Wiseau never could, because now people listening who've never seen the room are worried, because they don't know who's going to get shot. So, the the theory that we had, that you have now dashed to bits on the rocks below, is that because they were gone for a minute and 40 seconds... We, my first joke was, okay, well, clearly there's a police station in the lobby of the building. <laughs> but then later, when we thought that that was the same gun, we were like, oh, my God, Mark and Tommy, uh, Johnny, are gangsta as fuck. And, <laughs> and shot him, and Johnny kept the gun. As a trophy in his treasure box. Oh, my so God. You fight. I was also under the impression that those were the same guns, and that the only reason this whole subplot with Chris R. exists was to give them an excuse for Johnny to have a gun later on. Yeah, that would but make no. sense. No. But no. No, we did not even with that fairly clear cause and effect was Tommy Rizzo able to match this shit up. I, I, I'm fairly convinced now that in your version of things, if you went back to that flower shop, you'd see the uh, woman behind the counter give him a wink, and then you look behind her, and there's a big compost heap out back, and you can see Chris R's <laughs> boots poking out of it. And then the bean, pug licks bean. its lips. <laughs> oh my god, he ate him. Uh, I'm gonna start. You gave my pug food right for now. a month. My internet rumor is that Chris R is buried under that billboard, and that's why they wouldn't let it go down. Oh, my God. <laughs> they killed him in real time. Everyone is at this point yelling at Denny. Johnny and uh, Mark are off uh, going to uh, deal with the legal system, which is very... The justice system works swiftly in the future. They've abolished all lawyers. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, Claudette and uh, Lisa just scream at Denny for his weakness and his uh, inability to not get messed up with and involved with drugs. I don't have them anymore. What kind of drugs, Denny? It doesn't matter. I don't have them anymore. It doesn't matter. How in the hell did you get involved with drugs? Uh, Who were you giving them to him? Selling them to him? Where in the hell did you meet that man? What kind of drugs do you take? It's nothing like that. What the hell is wrong with you? I just needed some money to pay off some stuff. How much do you have to give him? This is not the way you make money. How much? Stop ganging up on me. Which is This, by the way, is yeah. almost a textbook example of how not to get information out of somebody. Scream at <laughs> Especially them. Blame them for everything. Especially someone who appears to have the emotional age of a ten-year-old. I've seen him eat a plastic pie. <laughs> 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 but 
Uh, yeah, so they scream at him, like asking him questions that he's already answered, by the way. I just got some drugs off of Chris R and I owe him money. Se- seemingly, Chris R gave him quite a bit of drugs and Danny said, I will gladly pay you Tuesday for drugs today. <laughs> and, that is how the drug industry works. They give you freebies and, Chris and run R- credit lines. Chris R yeah. turned up with his gun and went, guess what today is, motherfucker? <laughs> it's Tuesday. What is it Tuesday five minutes from now when I'll have... <laughs> like, I don't, don't know what it. his actual plan was when he's like, yeah, in five minutes, like, what if Chris R actually just sort of casually waits with him and then I five think, minutes later shoots him? Maybe he was up there because in he the knew name. that Johnny and Greg were going to come up in just a couple minutes and he just had to stall. Yeah. And then he could be like, this guy's going to play football up there. If it this is takes... on the roof, right? Yeah. 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 They so, would play like, football based up there. on what we've already yeah. established, Chris R had to go up through Johnny and Lisa's place and up the spiral staircase yeah. to get there, right? Oh, really? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Is there an outside works. stairwell? Yeah, Again, the geography of this building I, question. I, Sharon was I saying see. that the stairway prop used oh. in the upstairs yeah. shot yeah, is but the same as the one in yeah. the shed. Gotcha. It, so it's the a prop, duplicated, not the actual connection. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a repurposing of the prop rather than actual geographical points. Okay, because in this movie, it would have been really entertaining if everyone on the roof had to go through their place, and that's why the door's never actually locked. <laughs> hey, everyone, let's go outside again. <laughs> to their house. Actually, thinking about it, they have a completely different outside area they to did, take whole party that. guests up to a terrace. They go out the front door. God. I'm sure they do. But no, I mean, ultimately, the your money will be here in five minutes is actually not unreasonable. If it only takes a minute 40 to get to the police station and sure. back, then five oh, minutes true. to the bank and back is easy. Denny's ordered money to go. Yeah, five minutes oh, he... in this movie is like three transitions to the Golden Gate Bridge shot. That's plenty of time to run. I miss you. I just saw you. What are you talking about? I just wanted to hear your sexy voice. I keep thinking about your strong hands around my body. It excites me so much. I love you. Is Johnny there? He's in the shower. God, I don't understand you. Why do you do things like this? Because I love you. You just don't care, do you? No, I do care. But we agreed. It's, it's over between us. I understand. It's our secret. But I still have feelings for you. You just don't care. God, I do care. Mark has no forward motion whatsoever. He doesn't make choices. Things happen to Mark. Yes. Uh, Except for the shaving. Yes, the shaving. But then again, he was forced to do that by Tommy Rizzo. In real life, Greg was forced, coerced, blackmailed, threatened, and burgled senseless by Tommy Rizzo until he... Agreed to shave off his beard. He then instantly regretted it, but it took him ages to grow it back again. You look like babyface. (laughs) Was what... The real-life Tommy Wiseau to- told him over and over again. Uh, let me stroke it. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, um, this actually reminds me of a character, we of uh, another film we've done uh, recently, Scott Pilgrim. Scott will never make an active decision. Things mm-hmm. happen to Scott, and he sort of mopes about uh, regarding it. They, they, you're not really supposed to be with Scott, at least in the film you aren't, um, because he's totally passive. And at the end, he learns to actually do something quite scary, which is uh, a bit of character growth, a tiny little bit. Um, but Mark doesn't learn shit about anything. And uh, Johnny's angry. Oh, yes, because this... Like, immediately after this, Mark's been chatting with Lisa. Johnny comes up onto the roof. (sighs) He's got a (laughs) bottle of water. He bashes open the door. 
He staggers out into the uh, middle of the uh, shot and stands in mid-focus and says, I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. I got whiplash from the emotional escalation and de-escalation of this <laughs> It's the centrepiece, frankly. That's why they chose that for the Disaster Artist trailer. That's the moment that you reach peak... What the fuck is even going on? Because at that stage, he's angry over the allegations that we've heard Lisa feed to Claudette about seven or eight scenes ago... And Claudette immediately swept them away. So who's so who talking about this? That's oh because it God, wasn't Mark right. and it wasn't Denny. And it certainly wasn't Lisa. So who's he heard it from? The men folk? <laughs> the flower shop lady? The, the people at the computer. It's the, the guy doggy, playing yeah. <laughs> the guy playing golf in the park when they're playing football later on that completely ruins their shot. Implication is that. Sh- the, the, at least what I picked up was that at some point she said she mentioned it to him because it doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense, but that makes but, less but no the, sense than if anyone yeah. else told him. Well, Unless no, she's just been then... telling everybody and someone goes, so I heard you hit Lisa. He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but but that, no, okay. that makes more sense because no 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 hang on a minute for him to come out like this so rattled he's talking to himself that suggests a scene in which she said to him you hit me when you got drunk the other night and he's gone no I didn't I did you, not you no know I didn't <laughs> I would never do that to you. No, no, you did. You hit me. And then she says, I'm, I don't want to talk about it. I'm busy yeah. and, and I've got to go goes, away now. Oh. Would you like something to drink? Okay. Yeah. And then... Grabs a bottle of water, storms off up to the roof. I did not yeah. hit her. It's bullshit. I did not. But under those two circumstances, you're writing a romantic, erotic drama about relationships. You don't include the scene where she or someone else levels those allegations at him. Yeah. That's the key scene. That's where the whole movie turns around. You don't have that scene? Are you fucking kidding me? Alex. Structurally speaking, you pulled the linchpin out of your whole drama. Alex. Alex. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) But I do worry about it, Chewie. This plot holds on like a Jenga made of vibrators. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) A Jenga made of what? Vibrators. It's a common phrase used in England. <laughs> I think I heard the Queen say it once. <laughs> now, this world of you holds up like a Jenga made of vibrators. Uh, was she talking about Brexit? Yes. Ooh, that doesn't hold up. Topical! <laughs> Little bit of politics. Right. Um, no, I stole it from one of Alex's Movie A Day reviews. Yes. Uh, okay, so... Um, Again, this is an absurd scene. Johnny is stewing on this allegation, but we never find out whether Lisa told him or someone else. And, like, he doesn't ever really confront Lisa with it until later. Like, really at the end of the film. Like, I never... Oh, actually, no, it's during the... I, I, uh, I'm, you're tearing me apart scene. Yeah. That scene, the you're tearing me apart Lisa scene, had to come before this. Surely... Structurally speaking, that's where it goes from... I mean, no, no, it does happen afterwards. No, no, no. But it should have come before This it. makes no sense 
after this. Oh, God, it's... Yeah, she's pointing to what happens next. Okay, so Johnny's angry over allegations. Mark then grills Johnny about beating women, and Johnny laughs. Mark's like... (laughs) He's like... I used to know a girl. She had a dozen guys. One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad, she ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street. And Johnny, uh, in another (laughs) astonishing show of the worst possible way you can react to being told something, goes... (laughs) What a story, Mark. Which is, of course... Not how you react to that. But again, the point of this conversation is actually not the woman getting beaten up. The point of this story is that she was cheating on about 12 different guys. Yes. Again, what part of of this relationship falling apart do we want to focus on here? The fact that she's (laughs) accused you of hitting her when apparently you did not... Um, or the fact that you, there seems to be some suspicion of cheating going on that you technically don't know about yet. Although when he does find out, he then forgets on purpose until he has it proved to himself with the evidence that he wouldn't have had unless he already knew! <laughs> forget that he allegedly hit her? He did not. Because that seems to get swept under the carpet remarkably quickly. Hence my pointing at at what happens next, this conversation between Denny and Johnny. Johnny is talking to Denny as if none of the previous scene has actually happened. And he still thinks Lisa is this marvellous, wonderful person. It's an editing nightmare. And it jumps about, like, is it uh, 21 grams? That one where, um, uh, with Benicio Del Toro, that just jumps around the place? I think um, 21 grams is about how much Denny came up short, and that's where the whole thing <laughs> came from. I did anyway. in my, my notes here, domestic violence is funny. <laughs> what a story, Mark. Um, so I think I... All noticing the same terrible things in yeah. the same terrible way. That makes me feel better as a person. Yeah, yeah I have a note on that as well. You guys keep saying things in almost the exact way Alex has written here on his notes, and it's like, yeah, clearly this is grabbing everybody the same way. Good. It's 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 jabbing at our ethical core, which is like I I, I would well, like to know. Well, this is reviewed now. I would genuinely like to hear a like um, if a psychologist was able to study Tommy Wiseau to work out what the fuck is going on with this but guy. But he was. Peter had clear access to him for a good. Ooh, You're always minutes. playing psychologist, Peter. <laughs> Anyway, I think Mark is trying to grill Johnny to see how jo- what Johnny's reaction is to the idea of domestic violence. Mm. And Johnny's reaction does not paint a particularly good picture of Johnny. But that's not the focus of his conversation. And this is why it's so bizarre what Mark comes out with. Do you think, what is it he says, do you think girls cheat like guys do? You know they do! You're cheating with one! You asshole. Yeah, basically, he he then moans to Johnny about the woman Johnny's going to marry that he's having sex with on the side. He but moans at Johnny it's about that. Else, this is multi-leveled layers of manipulative at this point. So pretending back it's someone and forth. Else, it, and is this where he says he's seeing a married woman? Yeah, and Johnny's like, "Can I meet her?" And he goes, "Oh no, that's later. That's with so. Peter." Oh, oh shit! Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay sorry. Um. It's really complicated. Yeah, no fucking shit. But anyway, you're you're right. Uh, Immediately afterwards, Denny confides in Johnny that he loves Lisa. And Johnny goes, oh, yeah, well, you know, Lisa's going to marry me. But, you know, if you ever have a problem, come talk to me about it. Now let's go eat. And it's like he's played psychologist himself and therapist for a good six seconds and then said to Denny to not worry about it and move on. The, The... 
sheer weird obscenity by the way of the Lisa loves you you're like a son to her or something like that she's three years younger than you dude yeah there is that but like even if she wasn't three years younger she's not even as written much older no. like they've been together for five years when did they or get together seven, she depending 12, on where yeah. in the or film you seven. are okay well she's 23 that means that she was 16 I mean the 16? actress is 23 yeah, I know. Which means Lisa's actually cast as someone who's 29, 30, maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I mean, really, the way Lisa behaves, uh, I think, like, her scheming and... and um... No, actually, because, like, like, this is this one's co- uh, concurrent with something like Poison Ivy. And have you guys ever seen that film with Drew Barrymore? I have not. Do you know, I did actually oh. think Drew Barrymore in this role would, would do quite well. Would have done okay. It's fucking gut-churning. It's a disgusting film <laughs> where Tom Skerritt gets the hots for his uh, teenage daughter's new... His teenage daughter's Sarah Gilbert, uh, her new friend uh, Ivy, uh, who is this you know troubled runaway uh, type girl uh, who's, you know, had bad parents. And this girl decides, I am totally going to, like, plot the murder of your dying wife and then have you, and then probably kill the whole family, and then live off the proceeds. It, like, no, nothing about like Ivy's do. plan makes sense. But she's fucking 17 and really messed up, so you can almost see that what, where the illogic might spring from. But, obviously, Lisa is never really painted in that kind of, like, there, there's no, what's the end game for Lisa? She wants to do what she wants. Mm. But she doesn't know what she wants. Yeah, and she wants... She does, she'll she'll never too too to use, use it. it. <laughs> Yeah, she wants Johnny to keep her up, but she, and and but she wants to have sex with Mark, Mark not Greg. Is, Mark, there we go. But she also thing. wants to not do what her mother says, but then she wants to do what her mother says, but then she wants to do what she wants to do, even though she doesn't want to do it. I don't know. My head hurts. And then Michelle advises her to not do it, and she's like, "Well, I'm going to do what I want." So I do what I want. I do what I want. Phil comes saying that. <laughs> this would make sense if she wanted Johnny for his money and the financial security, but was bored by him and wanted something fun on the side, and that's where Mark comes in. But then she started to find that she had feelings for Mark, and then actually maybe she wants to leave Johnny after all and be with Mark. But she doesn't want to stay with Johnny for the money. Her initial instinct is to leave Johnny. Her mother tells her to stay. In which case, you're focusing on Johnny when this film should actually be about her yeah and her making the decision and coming to the conclusion that everybody knows she should come to and leaving him yeah quickly bloodlessly except that it's house. clear that every character in every scene Denny. needs to be referring to johnny and how they relate of to course. johnny and where is johnny now and absolutely for every scene where johnny's not in there everyone needs to be asking where's, where's johnny? johnny where's johnny exactly is this like the we effect like is that what that actually is <laughs> does it pass the we test so then, after Johnny's gotten so mad, Lisa then tells Michelle, which eliminates the, the idea that she'd told Michelle beforehand. Yeah. So it's okay, not wait, Michelle. That Johnny hit her. Okay, women, hang on, hang on. There, there's one of my favorite shots in this yeah. entire film is after Greg gets... Greg, damn it. After Mark gets angry and storms off towards the, the stairwell, and Denny's coming out, and he, like... Shoulders into him and goes past him, and Denny turns yeah. and looks and shrugs like, the "Hell was that all about?" I don't think they knew that that was going to make it in the film. I think someone just accidentally left the camera running because <laughs> it looks—it's the best acting in the film. Yeah, <laughs> I think at that reaction. point, 
<laughs> As I recall, Tommy uh, Wiseau had been agitating Greg Sestero all afternoon, so that frustration was very genuine. Well, no, I think it's got something to do with the fact that he kept pointing out that they couldn't have Denny come out of the shed and him go into the shed at the same it time was because small. there wasn't room. And Tommy kept saying, no, 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 this is how it's got to be. Denny <laughs> so needs to come not- in out of his shed. <laughs> But the way he goes in, I, I love that shot as well, actually, because when um, when Greg Sestero storms into the shed, the way he turns and starts to go down the stairs, it's obvious that the next shot should be him emerging from the side of the shed and disappearing over the brick wall of the roof. <laughs> it defies physics, this film does. It really does. Those stairs don't go down, they just go round in a circle. So I, I also I also want to ask because this is written in my notes. What does Johnny have in his cargo pants pockets? Oh, cameras, everything, all kinds of stuff: wallets, cameras, phones, the old kind with the big. Is that a Kodak camera in your pocket, or are you yeah. just pleased to see me? No, it was a giant Polaroid as well. <laughs> and you know, he keeps a fanny back in there for emergencies, <laughs> sweeties, a bottle of water. Oh yeah. Oh. Um, a bunch of roses. A giant cassette audio recorder. <laughs> and all of that was vital to that shot, I'm guessing. And yes. a pen knife. Yeah, this is probably that, that exact scene that we, they were talking about where the uh, continuity was, lady was like, could you please just empty, empty your, pockets. your pockets? I think it was really windy that day, and he was worried that he might blow off the roof. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> or Even though... Would see the rolled Even up though it's ma- not a real roof. All the people would see the rolled up magazine inside his pants leg pocket, which he it was like, no one must ever see this magazine, and God knows what's on that thing. You can only get it imported from Burma. So um, this actually reminds me that um, I thought something was off on Mark's eyes in one of the shots earlier in the movie on the roof, and Shuri pointed out that it's probably the green screen. Yeah. And on review... I think he's entirely right. I don't think they even chroma corrected for the fact that some of their cast members have green eyes. And it was really funny. Yeah, because he that's, looked that's really weirdly vampiric and it just occurred to me, oh my god, he I bet like he got into the in spice. His like his <laughs> eyes were bright. It's the pot. <laughs> it's messed him up. I yeah, that it was Chris R. Spice Mark was selling the drugs. He was trying to pin it all on Denny. Oh, oh my god! Mark was the kingpin. That's why he seems to have no yeah. movement because all of the movement That's happens off screen. That's why he's so good with the gun. I put that in my notes. I was like, wow, Mark's really handy with this gun that he's never held before in his entire life. Chris R. works for him, but doesn't even know. <laughs> my god, he's the kingpin. So Lisa tells Michelle that Johnny hit her. Michelle says, someone's going to get hurt. You are so bad. Michelle's a total fucking enabler. She's like, oh, you're being naughty, Lisa. You shouldn't do that. People are going to get hurt. But, oh, you're just too much. But in like kind of a smiley way where she's like, I don't want this to ruin our friendship. But, you know, she I is, totally disapprove of everything you do. She's trying to be supportive. She does actually say to um, Lisa that what she's doing is not on. Which is correct. Um... But at the same time, I think if if she were to say, right, I'm having nothing more to do with this until you tell him the truth, then that effectively leaves Lisa with no support whatsoever except Mark and could make things worse. Or Mom. I just like the reaction to he's hitting me being someone's going to get hurt if you keep this up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically, no one buys Lisa's bullshit story. Like Everyone's like, Johnny's so gentle, he wouldn't hit you. Moving on. 
And and so when when Johnny's just told, pretend you didn't say that. Johnny's told, did you hit Lisa? Like it just doesn't seem believable. All Johnny has to say is, no, of course I didn't. But uh, then take it to Lisa, and when he does, it's right here. Uh, this is just after Lisa has gone very hostile with uh, uh, Michelle, saying she might change her mind about marrying Johnny. And uh, then Johnny comes in, and Michelle goes, I'm going to see myself out. And there's a really awkward moment when she can't get past Tommy Wiseau. Uh, and and says like because he's like lounging on the uh, sofa with his legs out, and she goes, "Excuse me," but it's not in a kind of like everything pauses for her to make this moment. Like, "Excuse me, I need to step over you, but I'm somewhat repulsed by you." Uh, <laughs> in like, "You're a wife beater," but it, it kind of like comes across as Michelle is actually somewhat repulsed by Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> and every time he sits on the couch, he puts that that uh, I guess that would be his right foot up. Yeah. And that's just his natural state. And damn anyone me. who tries to get past me. <laughs> Absolutely. He's a rude fucker is what he is. But like I said, like, he's the um, he's written himself as this nicest of nice guys, a cuckold who uh, nobody appreciates. He's done nothing wrong. Everyone you know, values him and loves him and thinks he's fantastic. But everybody betrays him and fucks him over. The whole everybody betray me thing comes through the most naturally of any of his dialogue is when he's roaring stuff like that or saying stuff like that, that it's like he's, if he's not shouted this at friends or acquaintances or um, housemates or people in the street uh, before he's bloody well thought it. And this, uh, the film is an exorcism as such of those, you know, built up feelings that the world is fucking him over. And all he ever did was be nice to it. But again, if you read The Disaster Artist, he's mean to almost everyone. Like, the real-life Tommy Wiseau is a handful, and that's the nicest thing I could say about him. Like, every time he goes into a restaurant, he asks for a cup of hot water, just to make sure that the waitress is paying attention. He never drinks it, never touches it, but he asks for a cup of hot water. A bizarre little affectation. This is the You're Tearing Me Apart, Lisa scene. This scene has more hits on YouTube, You're Tearing Me Apart, Lisa, than the original Rebel Without a Cause, You're Tearing Me Apart scene. And That's because that one isn't funny. Yeah, but it's classic, (laughs) and this film has somehow become more classic. Uh, And uh, this is really like, if you've just seen bits of this film, see the whole thing. It's operatic in its sustained awkwardness. Uh, as we've uh, uh, made clear, it wasn't even the original line. It was supposed to be, you're taking me apart. But every time he screamed it, it was, you're tearing me apart. And, uh, you know, this became his, like, he had seen Rebel Without a Cause with Greg. They went to the cinema a lot in those days. Uh, And uh, this obviously stuck in his head, and he thought, you know, James Dean, now that's an actor. He also really loved Marlon Brando. He liked that level of, like, screaming. Like I said, he wanted to be Tennessee Williams, so obviously the Brando version of, um, is it Cat and Hot Tomb? Was it no, uh, Streetcar? No, Streetcar, yeah. Streetcar yeah. named Desire. Yeah, with it's, Brando, yeah. um, I want to say Paul Newman? In Cat and Hot Tim Roof, yeah, he was Brick. And um, the lovely Elizabeth, Elizabeth Taylor, Taylor yeah. as uh, Maggie. Mm. Yeah, I actually studied um, Cat and Hot Tim Roof for English. But um, yeah, like, this is what he always wanted to be the big dramatic actor and director and writer. Like, he wanted it all. Like, and that's what makes him perfect to, to, to do Nanar. You've got to have that I want to do everything complex mm. going. Like, I would really love to uh, write and 
possibly like adapt and possibly direct but i don't think i'm ever going to be as good as my favorite directors a new century and i sure as hell would not put myself in front of the camera because i'd just have my hands full i would rather just focus on getting the core of it which is the writing as good as it possibly can be and just defer to a, a trusted director mm. but john tommy wants to do everything she basically at this point says she throws his entire world into upheaval by suddenly suggesting to him that she might have changed her mind about wanting to be with him. Yeah. And then halfway up the stairs, effectively turns around and says, but you probably shouldn't worry about it because I'll probably have changed my mind back again by the morning. That's, again, dramatically speaking, it's like a child playing with toys and going, oh, tea time. And it's like... <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 no. We gotta, we gotta, like, adults have to sort this shit out. Mm. Like, when there's something that serious, time becomes irrelevant. Even work hours become irrelevant when it's that serious. It's like, I'm gonna call in sick today, we're gonna get this shit sorted out. Or, I can't talk about this right now, because I gotta go to work, but to be continued. As opposed to, don't worry about it, we're never talking about this again. It's like, uh, most adults, it really would be something that they would be like, okay, we, we, we have to discuss this. Yeah. Although it is very easy to let things go unspoken. Once you got to this stage about it and where you're arguing about it, you kind of need to resolve it in some way. Mm. Yes, indeed. Also, the notion that he's hit her yeah. seems to have gone completely out the window at this point. Because where is the scene where he says to her, and by the way, I heard from so-and-so, revealing to the audience where he got that particular snippet of information. I heard it from the that flower lady. apparently... <laughs> and her dog. <laughs> uh, that apparently he got drunk and hit her the other night. And then Mike turns up, and all of this, like, pain, like, you know, suddenly the room is in higher gear, and people are experiencing pain and anguish on screen, and suddenly fun little football game and it's like what the fuck is going on okay wait a minute um, wait a minute we there there's a there's a, a progression of lines in this scene where the tearing me apart lisa scene yeah so when michelle michelle turns and goes lisa remember what i told you and leaves and johnny goes what's she talking about and she goes it's girl talk i just told you that and johnny responds i never hit you these are non sequiturs yeah. yes like, and that's the only time it's mentioned is, I'm, I never hit you. And then he goes, you shouldn't have any secrets from me. I'm your future husband. Because, again, he can't say the word fiancé. <laughs> so, but, like, there, there's no sense. <laughs> no. Like, nobody no, responds to anything in a way that anybody would respond to ever. How dare you talk to me like that? You should tell me everything. I can't talk right now. Why, Lisa? Why, Lisa? Please talk to me, please. You're part of my life. You are everything. I could not go on without you, Lisa. You're scaring me. You're lying. I never hit you. You are tearing me apart, Lisa. Why are you so hysterical? Do you understand life? I had to go back and check with the subtitles there because I thought he just said, do you want to stay alive? It's, do you understand life? Uh, Tommy, people who live in glass houses. Like, what yeah. is the point of this this next scene? Well, you know, when you sometimes you're playing football, it can be good, and you know, it's, you know, it's, uh, I I recommend you try it sometime. I he literally that said that when people asked why people are, are playing football. What the fuck? 
So, like, Mike tells the underwear story that we already know about. We saw it happen, Mike. But he explains it in the most natural way that anyone in this whole film speaks, as though he's just ad-libbing it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I so I come back to get it, you know, uh, and I pretend that I need a book. You know, uh-huh, I'm looking uh-huh. for my book. And then I, I reach in and put the underwear in my pocket and sort of slide out real quick. Uh-huh. Well, Claudette, she saw it sticking out uh-huh. of my pocket. So uh-huh. she pulls it out, mm-hmm. and she's uh, showing everybody me underwears. You must be kidding, underwear. I got the picture. Yeah. I don't know what to do. Yeah. That's life. Yeah. And then, like, the, the resultant game that happens afterwards, where they're sort of chatting with each other, seems so easy and naturalistic. It almost seemed like they just started ad-libbing and they filmed it. And then Mark turns up and he hears, what's that, underwear? And, like, like punches and shoves over Mike into some bins in this really weirdly aggressive way whilst smiling. Right, I think this is the beginning of more evidence Mark's breakdown. that Mark is on a major level of drugs. And yes, I think a breakdown is, is ensuing because he does this and then later on he pounces on Peter in a ridiculous level of overreaction. Mom, I don't love Johnny anymore. Oh. I don't even like him. I had sex with someone else. You can't be serious. You don't understand. Who? Who is it? I don't want to talk about it. You don't want to talk about it? Then why did you bring it up in the first place? I don't know. You don't know. This scene, unlike the um, previous 16 times that Lisa has told someone she doesn't love Johnny anymore, Johnny overhears. Does he overhear she's also sleeping with Mark? Yes. Okay. Which means Johnny knows Lisa doesn't love him anymore and is sleeping with Mark. End of fucking tension. Or at least the, t- the tension then becomes, when will Johnny confront her about this? Mm. Uh, but he acts like he doesn't know for the rest of the movie until the last bit. But wait, also- no, no, no. He doesn't know that it's Mark at this point. He knows that oh, Lisa right. is sleeping with someone, but I right. don't think she says uh, who. Right, okay. But this is where he does his little espionage thing. Did you guys notice what he did? Can you describe to the listeners at home exactly how he plans to trap Lisa with technology? I'll record everything. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is serious question. Serious question. Everybody, everybody in this film knows what's going on at this point. Johnny is almost literally the last person to find out. Well, he's a cuckold. Does he need to tape anything? He doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. Lisa knows what she's doing, and she has told everyone in the building. He creeps from the stairwell, retrieves a cassette tape that he keeps in his upper top shirt pocket, because that's just a thing that normal people do. An old, like, Star-Lord cassette tape. (laughs) It was 2003, but still... And then he puts it in the answering machine. Is it the answering machine or just no, a no, tape recorder? He pulls out a giant tape recorder, like portable massive. tape recorder. It's, oh, it's massive. Man. You could kill a man with this. And he fiddles with the wires. And he puts, it, he puts it underneath the table where the, the cordless phone rests and somehow mm-hmm. plugs it into the cordless phone. Yeah. He just like plugs in some cables, which means that it's now recording what would appear to be Everything. Yeah, because he then sets it to record, which record. means that in about 45 minutes, he's going to run out of tape. Well, he'll, yeah, he'll have Denny tape. come He's got like 20 minutes on it. Like, Yeah. <laughs> 
But I mean, if nothing else, in about four hours, he's going to run out of batteries. Well, no, That's it's true. totally you guys. You guys, you don't understand technology clearly. It's a thing that is set up to only turn on and record when there's yeah. a phone when call coming in. Ah, is that what tape recorders do? Uh, yeah, didn't you get that memo in 2003? It's so good that Radio Shack kept Tommy Rizzo uh, <laughs> up to date with this kind of espionage uh, I appreciate stuff. how Home Alone 2 had a better audio recorder ten years before. Like, a character appears out of nowhere named Peter, and he's in, like, three scenes. And only three scenes. But and he's this named is... immediately. Joy says, I don't think she's being faithful to me. In fact, I know she's not. <laughs> Which is... I mean, that's wasted breath if ever I've heard it. Just like, I happen to know that she's not being faithful with me. I overheard her saying it. And then I decided to tape all of her conversations with this tape recorder because they're all in the same room all the time. And uh, Peter is a psychologist. And he's asked for advice because he's a psychologist. He's like, you know, well, you're a psychologist. Give me some advice. And then Peter tells him a couple of things. And then, uh, which John, is like the worst advice in which the world. Which is like the worst advice in the world. And says, oh, your relationship is complicated, Johnny. And then Johnny replies something along the lines of, Peter, you're always playing a psychologist. <laughs> you fucking asked him to. <laughs> and he is a psychologist. I mean, like, you can't switch that stuff off, really, can you? Well, no. If you're told complicated relationship stuff, you can't not engage those inner workings of your brain to, to go along those channels that you're familiar with. No, but the the, the what to, uh, Johnny appears to be asking for advice with is not really something that a psychologist could help him with. Help How do I spy on my girlfriend? why I'm putting up with being treated this way, yes, um... Provide us with some kind of marriage counselling to try and repair our relationship, maybe. I mean, a psychologist is not your best bet for that, but that's feasible. Would a psychologist help ha- me find out how I can prove my wife is cheating on me? That's that's private investigator stuff. Would a psychologist ask him simply, would you say you're a nice guy, Johnny? And then Johnny would think for a while and say, yeah, I'm a nice guy. Would you say it's important to you to be seen as a nice guy at all times? Yeah, it's important to me. Do you think that might be why? A good psychologist doesn't tell you shit. They allow you to pick over the events in a safe place and guide you into astute conclusions. This was the moment in the film when my wife turned to me and said, why is no one in this film human? Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's not. And then Mark turns up and they talk about running and chicken. Cheep, 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 cheep. I don't think he knows what a bird sounds like. Also, did you notice that they were in mid-conversation? The unexpected can happen. When it does, you just got to deal with it. And then there's a obviously added in later doorbell sound, and Peter goes, did you hear the door? Nice. Yeah, that, that was I mean, some the door was... added in post fully nonsense. Because <laughs> Peter just said, did you hear the door? Because he was desperately trying to end the conversation. Like, yeah, uh, oh, there's someone at the door. Is there? I don't know, we should check, probably. But he, doesn't he, he actually says to Johnny, tell me about your problems after Mark's got there. Mm. Yeah. Tell me about your problems, Johnny. Like, now in front of this third party who's come into the room. Totally irresponsible and uh, unprofessional. And this is where the, the line that Alex came up with earlier, you mean she's too old, you think I'll take her away from you? Which, again, like, um, it was like, you know, can I meet her? No, I don't think so. It's kind of complicated. And like the whole, I might take her away from you, which basically is like, 
oh, I'm fine with, you know, taking away other people's... Like, we already know this woman is married, so Johnny is prepared to fuck up his own relationship, which, from the sounds of it, is already fucked up, and fuck up that relationship, too. Ha, 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 he's just joking. What a story, Mark. (laughs) But again, this is a, a movie where people say awful things and then say afterwards, I'm just joking. Yeah, those people are terrible in real life. Yes, yes, they fucking are. Uh, so Lisa comes in with Denny and wants Mark to stay, but he leaves because like they're like oil and water. As soon as she walks into the room, he walks out of the room. Denny wants to stay, but she dismisses him. And there's this really weird bit of blocking where the camera sort of peers over the chair and Denny crouches down behind it, so he's this little floating head. And it's like, why did you crouch down? And then later he gets up and goes, like, they're next to an open door. Who crouches and talks to someone by an open door? He's gone feral. <laughs> I like to think that he was trying to get a cover advantage at this point. I'm just saying this is the weirdest, most strangely run D&D game ever. <laughs> uh, he's turned into this living room golem <laughs> you look beautiful today my precious <laughs> uh, also there's this bizarre conversation about between the, the Peter and Mark and, and Johnny about beta breakers yeah which what's that well, is that Rice. running? It, yeah, that's what I thought about. It's running. It's a ra- it, yeah, it's it's a it's a run. But I had I thought he said beta as in alpha and then beta breakers. I had no idea what the hell was going on. And Sarah, my date, like we pause it. I'm like, the hell is that? And she's like, oh, it's a foot race in San Francisco. And she proceeds to tell me about it because it's run from the bay to where the breakers hit. I'm like, why is bay that in this breakers. movie? <laughs> Well, like, this is the beginning of what seems like quite a bit of incidental dialogue that's not really about anything. It, it just it sounds like it's just natural. They're ch- chatting about stuff, but it's so forced. And like, there's bits where they're running, and Johnny's like, "Hey, so what's up with you? Not much, man. What's up with you?" And that's 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 the dialogue. Mm. That's such is, wasted time for everyone. This is based off the fact, like the the thing, the little story that Johnny tells about how he arrived in. Um, in America okay. with a $2,000 check, check that he couldn't cash couldn't because cash it was, it was an out-of-state out of state bank. bank. What? Raising more questions about the autobiographical nature of the room. But that's the thing. Greg actually says in the book, that, well, he tells a little story about what may have been Tommy's history, mm. and it actually ties in really quite closely with that. But Tommy is also obsessed with beta breakers to the point where he makes Greg run it in a suit and loafers at one point. <laughs> In real life, yeah. God, because again, jo- Johnny, like his, uh, so Tommy in real life is is quite muscular, runs quite a lot, mm. and does pull ups in other people's doorways. Actually, now that we're on that subject, do you guys want to throw in that your hats into the ring as to who the fuck do you think Tommy Weasel is in real life? Where did he come from? How did he get six million dollars? He was found under a rock. No, 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 no. no. Let's 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 (laughs) hear the theories because, like, I've heard some wild ones. So we've all seen the Men in Black movies, Mm -hmm. right? So you know how they always have the two things in a room, like you know the person and then like a second really weird looking person, and the really weird one is absolutely strange and disturbing. You're like, that's clearly the alien, but it's a fake out because the other one's the alien. Yeah, he's the one that's not an alien. Greg is an alien and Tommy is his cover. Yeah, Greg has I, a little guy, a little person navigating him around the place. That's why they've been hanging around together all these years. That's why he won't let go of it because he knows that 
that if he separates from Tommy, his secret will be discovered and they'll make him yeah. go home. And the Tommy MIB branch at San Francisco are well aware of them. <laughs> Tommy is his red herring, and that's what I think is going on. God. Is this going to be what happens at 23 Jump Street? Is this the long play on the on this? <sighs> I hope so. Okay, that that was a great theory. Anyone else? Yeah, so I just assumed that uh, Tommy's dad was some high-ranking member of some Eastern European mafia, and he just sent Tommy off to the U.S. just to get him out of his hair, and he just <laughs> gives him money. It's just, look, just go over there. You'll blend in fine because everyone in America is crazy. Just go. And uh, he ended up making a movie. That is so close to my theory. My theory, my theory is that he is some like underprince of Bulgarian royalty, and they got him out of the country because there was a coup, and like the 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 royal family maintained their fortune but were no longer royals or something like that. But they had to get rid of their mistakes, and one of them was Prince Tomas. He was sent to America, and they basically give him a stipend, but he doesn't spend it very often. And he actually he looked at his bank account and realized, oh shit, I got a million dollars. But he doesn't he doesn't control his bank. He meets Hector Elizondo in a car park every month, and is this one guy who's been basically charged in America with looking after Tommy Wiseau. And he hates his job, and he longs for the fields and fjords of Bulgaria. And he's just like, but I'm looking after your ass. Okay, so Tommy, here is your check. Don't spend it all at once. And Tommy's like, ha, 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 ha. Thank you. You want to come? Do you want to go run, play football? No, I don't want to play football. But the thing is, Tommy is mean with money and thus didn't spend it and actually found himself with way more money than he needed. So Hector Alexander was like, you got to get rid of this. you got to buy something big. And he's like, I don't know. What if I buy a big house? Uh, it's got to be something that kind of disappears after that. <laughs> and then he's uh, wandering around the place and like he goes for, like he wants to be an actor he goes to do theatre this is something that actually happened in the book he's trying out for Streetcar and he comes out and goes Estella and like tries out for Stanley and then he gets the idea of why don't I make a movie and then thinks to, like does some like totting up but like he always strikes me as like Tobias in um uh, uh, Arrested, Arrested Development, Development. like he, he needs a Ron Howard commentary but the, the idea that like he could sort of throw together this rough idea for how much a movie is going to cost and that will almost exactly swallow up everything he needs to get rid of from this bank account and no questions asked but at the same so like Hector Elizondo is trying to keep Tommy under wraps and like so that his face is not seen anywhere because otherwise people from Bulgaria might recognize him. So that's why he undergoes plastic surgery to change him from this handsome young princey type dude in his 20s to what this haggard looking potato man when he hit his 40s question mark. <laughs> um, so Hector Elizondo allows it, but it's like, oh, the movie's going to be a piece of shit. It's going to sink. It's going to flop. And it's fine. And it doesn't flop and it doesn't sink and it's it in fact becomes up. infamous and every five month years. every month Hector Elizondo gives him his check and goes here you go Tommy five grand again what are you going to spend this on and Tommy goes oh I don't know something or other and then goes straight to the place where they take the billboard residual checks <laughs> and goes keep it up for longer <laughs> And and that basically became his life. And he wasn't like Greg for all the time he lived with him in his weird big house 
never worked exactly that out about him. He like he 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 talked took the whole Tommy worked as like a bellboy and uh, you know he, he had shitty jobs when he was uh, overseas where he worked, but no one's allowed to talk to him about it. He got got very shirty when anyone ever re- uh, revealed any piece of information about him, even if it was relatively well known. So he's been told on no uncertain terms. If you ever, ever tell anyone who you are, the checks stop coming. And that's my theory on Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> it's well, a better to... movie than anything he could make. Honestly, I said that to Sean when we were reading. This story is way better than the the Room, and it feels like that in in fifty years' time there'll be this, the making of the Room film. Actually, this weird creature, Tommy Wiseau. The true story, adding background to whatever the disaster artist is able to pass out from what Greg could surmise. I... But the interesting part is that she paid for dinner. He's very mean with money, and he, he take that so it clearly is his character. Although anything for my princess, he will also lavish anything her with red dresses, dinner. red roses, and she can get the pizza. That's a fair trade, I suppose. She can get the pizza and the scotch cap. Um, See, my well, did you my have, theory about yeah, Tommy Wiseau is that he was sent to punish everyone on the internet who talks about film. <laughs> How does he punish us? Because at some point in your career, you're going to have to talk about The Room. No, well, we hate movies have avoided it. This is the one movie that they won't do. And we didn't do it in a kind of, we're going to do what we hate movies don't, don't do. I'd love to hear them talk about it. But I understand completely their reasons not to. Like, because everyone's talked about this film. And I thought, like, what can we possibly say that hasn't already been said before? As it turns out, a lot. <laughs> On the roof, Mark smokes weed, contemplates suicide, and nearly kills Peter. So how, how exactly does this happen? He tries to throw him off the roof. Yeah. Oh, because Peter diagnoses Lisa as a sociopath. Yeah, Which is on the nose. It's like totally right. But But he also says you're having an affair with Lisa, aren't you? Yeah, he shrewdly observes that one. We never see Peter and Lisa interact in this film. Yeah. They're they're never on screen together, really. So where does he get his information from? He's at the other end of the room when she enters and talks to uh, Mark. Well, like, he just looked at Mark's body language. But, like, there's no establishing shot to show Mark looking shifty and guilty, Lisa looking, like, at him in a very pointed way, and Peter going, all right. You know? Like, uh, anyone could fucking work that out. Uh, Mark was just talking about seeing a married girl and, uh, like, then acts really weird when Lisa comes in. The fact that... um, like Tommy already knows that Lisa's having sex with someone uh, under those circumstances Tommy really needs to Johnny really needs to look at Mark and go please say it ain't so but no uh, Mark's smoking weed and as we all know weed makes you super fucking violent like as soon as uh, the allegations out Mark half-heartedly tries to push Peter off the roof for about four seconds and then gives up and goes <gasps> as they stare at each other sorry man Peter goes it's fine that does seem like a very unlikely response for somebody who's stoned. Yeah. Like, oh, just get off my case. What are you talking That's about? Cons- every, every PSA I've ever seen from the time that I was a child has taught me <laughs> that all drugs make you violent. Yeah, but they also say tobacco is wacko, and then in parentheses, if you're a teen. If you're not a teen, it's fine. It's not wacko at all. But did you notice, this is where the green screen eyes 
became uh, obvious. And I think they did it on purpose in this scene because they, hmm. he wouldn't put in the Bill Bixby about to transform into the Hulk contacts. Like, <laughs> we'll just get it with the green screen. Just look directly at the camera. It'll be fine. The fastest time between attempted murder and apology I've ever seen. <laughs> Six seconds, right? <laughs> it's like attempted murder and apology, but not in a sort of... Um, I am so sorry. Oh, God, I nearly killed you. I didn't mean to almost kill you there. That would have been a total terrible accident. Uh, in a kind of, you really did try to fucking throw me off the roof because of this allegation. It is not fine, sir. I'm going to leave. <laughs> and as we know, the police station is only a minute 40 seconds. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, 50 seconds away. But Mark bars his exit. like, God, yeah, you're right. I'm seeing Lisa. God. And he's like, he's just this burning ball of human emotion like a, mm. again a tennessee williams tragic hero it's because he's, Except he's not work. heroic uh now everyone is wearing tuxedos and mark and, has shaved and mark has shaved and this is the bit where tommy Wiseau forced greg to shave and then like as he was doing it he realized he was trapping Didn't himself he outside him? his he, he watched, watched him. him shave oh yeah that's weird yeah that's good so oh, everyone's oh, take, play, wearing tuxedos, and Denny goes, can we go outside and play football? And Peter's like, nah, I don't really feel like doing that. And they go, oh, come on, chip, 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 Again, has anybody in this family actually seen a chicken? This must have influenced the writing and uh, arrest development. Just the whole film kind of ties in with both Tobias and... Um, Job with his ga 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 ga. Come on. That's what I was just telling Look, I haven't found the right girl. When I do, I will ask her out. Has anyone in this family ever even seen a chicken? They do, in fact, go out and play an incredibly quick game of football on the streets. Peter, who didn't want to play, falls over, and then he actually says. Right, I'm out in a kind of... That's uh, it, I'm done. That's it, I'm done. And that's real because he walked from the project and went off because he had another job lined up and he was like, I, my life is too short for this. That's natural. And then afterwards, and they pull him to his feet, he's like, great idea, Denny. But he says it in, in inverted commas. So it's like, yeah, this was a fantastic idea, Denny, the mastermind of all this, Denny. I'm really furious at you right now, Denny. You're so fucking unprofessional, Denny. <laughs> But this Peter bowing out um, creates a serious continuity uh, error because he's supposed to be at the party that uh, they're lining up for. The bit where Lisa was chatting with Michelle and telling her, I don't love Johnny anymore. Um, she was preparing for this party for, uh, seemingly weeks in advance, like, you know, like moving all the furniture around, just gearing up for it. Because, again, we never getting these establishing shots. Yeah, at some yeah. point, she said that the party was on Friday. Yeah. Yeah, she so told Claudette Friday, that. we'll never know. Ah, okay. Uh, a Friday. Then they're at the coffee shop, and a lot of people order various things. There's more time afforded to people ordering various things than the actual conversation that Mark has with Johnny, where Johnny asks Mark, how's your sex life? Is that a thing that guys talk about in that way? I mean, I asked you at the start of this episode. Is that how friends <laughs> you work? You were quoting, though, surely. Please tell me. <laughs> no, I can't. Go anyway, on. how's your sex life? How's your sex life? How's your sex life? Not like, how are things? Life. How's it going with the girlfriend? Like, how's your sex life? Nice. Adequate. Uh, Excellent. So, Mark, have you Mark had any really good belly buttons lately? Because <laughs> <laughs> so I know Johnny a girl. That... You might know her. Uh? Mark, Mark tells Johnny relationships never work. And then they kind of resolve the scene at that. He's like, ah, you know, relationships never work. I don't know. Like, Mark's constantly filled with this chronic indecision, like Hamlet. Like, in hundreds of years from now, Mark will be the bard that will be played by everyone. 
that they will they will want to play him. Like his lines such as, "God, why'd you do this to me?" Lisa then beds Mark again. He puts up no resistance and shows no conflict. Like, like we've already seen he's like, oh, about it the whole time. But he's like, he's fine with it when when they go to this next. When his scene. end is getting away. Yeah, when he's got belly button to shag. Yeah, but mm. this time around he actually got boob. Chewie pointed yeah. this out. He didn't get boob in the first scene. Yeah, in the first no, scene, nobody's this... clothing came off. I mean, his shirt came off and her outer. It was more canoodling. It was canoodling. It was making out. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in this, it's like she's like, oh, I'm so hot. I'm just going to uh, slip into something more comfortable. I'm just going to slip into my party dress. Her party dress turned out to be her birthday suit. But it's Johnny's but... birthday. Oh, that's weird. Nice. Nice. They also did you notice they had to ADR the sex noises? <laughs> Imagine how yeah. awkward it would have to be when you're Greg Sestero and Johnny like Tommy Wiseau clearly has the hots for you and you're having to make grunting sex noises. <laughs> Especially when Juliet Danielle wasn't available to do her side of the ADR, so Tommy had to step in. Yeah, it feels like Tommy was like, Hey, why don't I record my noises for my scenes earlier? But they won't match up. They may even overlap. Oh, forget about it. Don't worry about it. Let's just go. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> anyway, Mark and um, <laughs> sorry, I made myself sick. <laughs> uh, Mark and Johnny play football in a vaguely homoerotic way. Um. This is something that I think I'm going to be quoting in just a second uh, from the book. There is a curiously unexplored homoeroticism riven throughout this entire work. Like, you know, even if the subtext is not that Tommy Wiseau has the hots for Greg Sestero, it would appear that Johnny has the hots for Mark. No, they're just friends. They're playing football. Are they, though? Like, if that... Like, that's... That's meat. That's part of the drama. You can weave stuff into that, surely, can't you? Well, someone could. Tell yeah. me we so can't. Yeah, because he will re- remain, ensure that that remains curiously unexplored. I'm entertained that um, throughout this entire movie, maybe one of them actually knows how to throw a football. Yeah. Like, for them to make a point of having these scenes over and over again, half of them throw a football like they think it's a frisbee. <laughs> And there's this real again. There's this dramatic woodland dell entrance music playing over there. Like, like it, you'd imagine that that like you were just emerging into the glade where a little man is playing a, a, a flute on a giant mushroom. That's the kind of music that's playing when they're playing football in the park. See, it's it, weird. It feels like kind of love storyish to me. <laughs> it's like the soundtrack from Blue Lagoon wandered in for a second and went, uh-uh, no, I'm out, and then just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a no, note. this is too creepy and weird. I, I have a note about the music, and I don't remember which scene it was happening when I wrote this down, but I ask, mm. what's with the loading music from a 1980s TSR video game? Oh, man. If you can yep. find out which scene that is and tell me, I will try and play it. Really, it just totally, that's what it sounded like. Oh, is that Michelle and Mike? I said it sounds like Monkey Island. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I know it was before the scene where Steven walks in on Lisa and Mike, even though we never find out what his name is. You have to look it up in the credits. Yeah. 
Host? Oh, you, uh, that guy Stephen? I was, I'd be calling him um, Matt. Yeah, is that Stephen? And Stephen! Uh, in the credits, yeah, Steven. there's a guy named Stephen and no one knows who right. he is. So I assume yeah, that's that was Stephen. Stephen Elimination makes that him. Stephen is yeah. the, pr- is the uh, replacement for Peter. Yes. He's the guy at the party who suddenly starts talking to Lisa like, how can you guys do this? And you're like, hang on, who the fuck are you at this stage? <laughs> that is exactly yeah. what I said the first time. He very specifically has the line about... You're going to tear our friend circle apart. This is going to pull us all down. This is going to shake up our group of friends. And I just wrote, who even are you? For this group of friends, wouldn't it be a good idea to have at the beginning an establishing shot of a group of friends? (laughs) Just so you know what's at stake. I know it sounds basic. But just like, like... a St. Elmo's Fire group. Yeah. Well, do you know what you did? It started life as a play. Do you know what you do in a play? Yeah. You introduce your characters. That way, when, when two people sneak into the house to have sex, you know who the fuck they are! Which is important. Yeah. Yeah, the very last note that I have after all of the main stuff from when we got to the credits is, who the fuck is Stephen? And I don't exactly. have any arrow pointing to who he is. And the party scene was one of the hardest for them to do, and it went on forever because it had so many extras in it. So I'd imagine that's probably why they didn't have a scene with all of these friends in at once. And also everyone kept leaving the group, so you couldn't have a uh, establishing shot. Like, if you couldn't get Peter in, because he was only going to be in three scenes, fucking hell, he was just... He had one foot out the door. So Lisa, uh, after the whole playing football, um, Lisa changes into her party dress with Mark... But it's, oh yeah, that, that's when she shags him. Oh shit, she shags him twice. Oh no, she, no, she no, doesn't shag him here. They don't have sex at this point because Michelle walks in. Oh yeah. god, yeah. She then goes, I'm going to get into my party dress and end up in her birthday suit. Then Michelle arrives, and there's another weird threesome vibe. Am I completely inferring that one? I think no. so. Yeah. Uh, I think it was more of an you know examine your zipper just because we can all tell what's going on scene. X Y Z. Examine your zipper. She does basically zipper. go, "Is there anything I can do to help?" large wink. Well, like, she's standing there... She's talking about the party. She stands there beaming at the two of them in a kind of, so what's going to happen now? (laughs) kind of way. I could be wrong, but it really seems like she's angling. Careless Whisper starts playing in the background. (laughs) So, like, basically all it would then take is Lisa going, hey, we're going upstairs for a nap. You want to come? And then Daddy's like, oh, yeah, let him go for a nap. (laughs) I also, uh, when when she and Mark actually did have actual sex, I, I said to Bill, oh, look, he's at least positioned properly. No, he's not. Maybe like, Lisa immediately just... <laughs> after that, he moved into the Weso position. Yeah, maybe nice. Lisa just has a really high vagina. Maybe. I'd call that a blessing. So, yeah, Michelle then disapproves greatly of Lisa's terrible um, behavior. Oh, that's when the groceries get unpacked and the coffee table gets moved for the party that's not actually happening until Friday. Why would she tell uh, him to tell her to come in when she could see he wasn't finished dressing yet? I think she yeah, really wants to get shirt on. Yeah, and she's really angling for a threesome. Like it's so obvious. She's also, angling for one with Denny, then she's like angling she's for one with Michelle. She's keeping this a secret to start with. She's already told everyone she's doing it. That's yeah. what I was going to say. It's not as if she, how can she really want to get caught when she's already told everyone? Yeah, except for Johnny. Oh yeah. Oh no, she told him too. She told. She said, "I'm having an affair." No, but he knows. Oh, for goodness' sake. <laughs> Then Johnny runs with Mark in a beautiful national park. Again, it keeps cutting back and forth with the the hanging out. Like, you have the scene where he's hanging out with Mark just in one montage. You don't have to show it and then reestablish it. 
There's so much, like, wasted clag in this movie of just re-establishing something we already know. Um, but again... Tommy Wiseau is a terrible director. Look, this is not me going, oh, the movie's bad. It, like, I, we know it's bad, but, like, this is stuff we can learn. We can learn so much from this movie of just, like, you know... Like, as long as you can focus on how things got this bad, you can ensure that this kind of, like, if you're, if you're, like, either doing your own creative endeavors or just appraising other work, it gives you a clearer vision of what a rocky path looks like when you're looking at a smooth one. Claudette comes back in and says, Lisa should marry Johnny, whether she loves him or not. Is this the sixth time she said that? Mm-hmm. There are also, and I haven't mentioned this before, framed pictures of spoons oh, in yes. the background. Yep. Did you see them? Oh, oh, that's like the first note that I have here is, is that a picture of a, a framed picture of a spoon? And we Do you know the, the story behind the spoon? No. There's a story? There is. Are, Johnny, are they big fans of the tick? No, 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 no. It's nothing, it nothing that intricate. Um, to- Tommy sent out and like, basically that this this room looks bare and spartan and boring, and and so Johnny said, right, we need to add some dressing. Go out and get some frames. Sent a poor um, gopher out to get some frames. They brought back these frames, oh, no. which had spoons in them, yeah. as just your standard template image. Oh. And uh, they're like, right, we're gonna need to get some pictures of, because at this point, like, I'm I'm imagining very like it's made the room so much better for me. Imagining Seth Rogen as uh, Sandy, the, uh, um, the the guy he's playing in uh, the Disaster Artist, going, okay, uh, we're going to need to get some um, uh, like pictures of uh, uh, you and uh, Lisa in in these, just to sort of establish that you know the whole like of you guys being together. And, and and Tommy was like, no, leave them as they are. I like this. It'll freak people out. People will be asking questions when they look at it. And he's like, ah. Oh. Yeah, you sure about this? Because it so kind those of really going to be distracting. Photos in the picture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's terrible. They may as well have been pictures of someone else's children. But yeah, that's how it is, and that's why when you go to the room screenings that we haven't mentioned, but obviously you can go to big sing-along room screenings where everyone shouts at the screen and throws plastic spoons. That, that that's a thing that they do. The spoon has become kind of the the image of this sort of slapdash thrown together. Is that what room of spoons of is? Films making. Yeah. Okay. So Johnny stalks through San Francisco like the man in black in Westworld and passes the Disney store. It's a really weird moment. Like he's stalking, and it's like, is he angry? Is he is he furious? Is he gonna just like bust into that home and just like destroy everything? Nope, because he's just going to the party. And there's the uh, Peter replacement. What's his name? Stephen. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, Lisa says they should all go outside. Hey, everybody, let's go outside. Everyone does. Then she canoodles with Mark. And then Peter's replacement enters and tells them off. Like, yeah. And then Mark starts saying one of the many, like, bizarre things he says at the end. Like, he, he said weird things throughout, but at this point, he is speaking gibberish. Leave your comments in your pocket. One of my favorite lines. Leave your stupid comments in your pocket. I wrote that down. That's it. Yeah, because them in your pocket. That's something people say in America, isn't it? I'll, I said it to... to I wish people now. left their stupid comments in their pocket, but they don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, then Johnny enters and Michelle stands next to him and is the most multi-layered level of awkward moment in cinema history. He goes, great party, Lisa. You invited all my friends. Good idea. Or like, good going or something along those lines. And it's like... You think of everything. You think of everything. Like, you know, as is tradition, with a party. And then Lisa says, hey, we should all go outside again, after standing there awkwardly with Mark for a while. But of course, Tommy is not going to be any the wiser until the narrative calls for him to be. 
Then Lisa, uh, then Tommy announces to everyone, we're going to have a baby. Everyone in the audience is like, oh shit, seriously? And then Lisa goes, no. <laughs> what? Like, like they just have to add that... that extra little bit of dagger twisting. Surely that little piece of information should have been given to us slightly earlier to make it, oh shit, now we're dragging a child into this? And uh, that, like, uh, l- like she lays the whole, there is no baby on him at the very end. You don't just drop that, like, it's back to Hitchcock again. You don't just, like, get everyone going, what? Oh no, it's fine. He technically never finds out there is no baby, does he? God, no, he doesn't. No. God, he doesn't. She's like, they're like, when's the baby due? And Lisa goes, there is no baby. I told him that to make it interesting. And then she goes, we're probably going to have a baby eventually anyway. But weren't you going to leave him? Don't you not love? What? Sharon picked up on that and said, like, after three years, is she going to go, oh, I'm finally going to have that baby. And, <laughs> and, and Johnny's like, that's an incredibly long gestation period, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Tommy Wiseau has ever used the term well, gestation when, you know, period. If he doesn't know what fiance is. Mid-torso vagina, maybe it's different. <laughs> when are you going to have that baby, Lisa? Um, so then she says, hey, everyone, let's go inside. And everyone being her, you know, little fucking fridge monkeys immediately rushes inside. Uh, then Mark confronts her about the baby. And is like, hey, baby. Then pulls her arm and she slaps him. And Johnny steps in to go, hey, what's going on? Mark shoves Johnny and they tussle. The fight is pulled apart. And Johnny, whose sleeve has suddenly been really pulled up, um, One of them. Uh, says, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a weird way to end the fight. It's like, okay, could Lisa, please, you come with me? And he sort of, he leaves through the door and Lisa wanders off to the other side of the room, but not in a pointed, I'm not leaving with him, but just in a kind of, the actress didn't know where she was supposed to then go and she stand. Just go, she goes almost as if she's going to get something to the, from the table and then follow him, but then she yeah. never does. Oh, no, she goes along and she picks up one of those pictures of spoons that's been knocked over because oh, Mark got shoved back against it. I thought it. she was getting some food from the buffet. It's this, like, this is going to take a while. This couple of fights actually <laughs> scared Greg's hysteric because Tommy Wiseau got really into it with his, like, shouting and shoving. Um... And obviously there's a lot of resentment for Greg. You know, you march around, you parade in front of me, you pretty boy, but then you don't put out. Or whatever it is that makes uh, Tommy Wiseau so furious about Greg. But there's a push-pull in their whole relationship. There's a weird dissolve, like Johnny leaves the room, Lisa goes and stands over there, and then it cuts to the next scene where she's like... Like, like slow dancing with Mark and they're canoodling it. And like, at some point she must have said to him, yeah, there is no baby. But she just slapped him. So they clearly aren't going to be on that good terms. So where's that missing scene? Again, I think this is, he didn't know how he wanted the fight scene between him and Mark to play out. So he, so pl- he, did he filmed two. two and um, then put them both in. And then put them back to back and they don't make any sense. Because yeah. then Tommy comes back in and goes, I kill you, I'll bring him in front of Kill you, you bastard! Could kill me if you tried. You betrayed me. You're not good. You, you're just a chicken. Chip, 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 chip. Trey, shut up! Shut up! It's over! It's not over. Everybody betrayed me. I fed up with this world. Don't forget the best line. What's that? Don't touch me, motherfucker. Don't touch me, motherfucker. Get out. Again, this stuff comes across really naturally to him. Like, he's been in a fight like that, and that's how he reacted. And he probably... Like, I honestly think calling him a chicken, that came naturally to Tommy, too. (laughs) 
Like that, I that's think it something was funny that he got other people to do that for the other scene when they were trying to play yeah. football. It's like they know what a chicken sounds like, but the boss has told them that this is what it sounds like, so they're doing it. <laughs> oh, God. Then the party's over officially because Johnny's, um, you know, thrown a wobbler and understandably, like, everyone uh, leaves. In a few minutes, you know, bitch. You call that's my favorite line. Stupid mother. You can come out now, Johnny. She's gone. In a few minutes, bitch. Who are you calling a bitch? You and your stupid mother. And it's just like, it's some, it's out of nowhere. And it's like, it's so rude and brusque, especially as he's been so nice the whole time. Which means that he's had this boiling anger in him this whole time. Which, again, says quite a lot about people who perceive themselves as nice guys. I really it says wish... so much, yep. specifically about Tommy. I really wish that when he was going over that long list of everything that, you know, is bad she's done to him, you go, and it's my birthday. <laughs> you ruined my party. And it was my birthday. <laughs> so then he listens back to the tape of everything, finds the incriminating conversation between Lisa and uh, Mark, and gets really angry because this proves that she's been having an affair with Mark. But he knows already that she's been having an affair. He's already angry at Mark because it would appear that that way. And, like, he's, like, it, it's, it hits him uh, this, like, weird redoubled, but you already knew this, and he doesn't ever really consider out loud, I knew that you'd been sleeping around with someone, but I would never have thought it would be Mark, my best friend. He never says that, those sequence of words. Like, I knew a while ago that you were sleeping with someone else. I knew you weren't being faithful to me, so I've been feeling that hurt for quite a while. But the fact that it's Mark, uh, you know, both of you, uh, and at that point... He really needs to express disgust and then kind of come around to just coldness and just say, please get out of my house. Like, again, there's so much chance to save this particular, like, save everybody's lives at this stage. <laughs> but what actually happens, guys? He chucks this stone brick of a tape recorder. Not the same one that was downstairs. This is one that he has upstairs. Oh, he, he has a different tape. Because he brought the Chekhov's tape up and waved it at recorder. her. And then put it yeah. in and hit play. So it's a, he's got two tape recorders, but he hurls it at a wall. But because it's made in like the early 90s and it's made of concrete, <laughs> it doesn't break. It just hits the wall and falls. <laughs> they made them to last in those days, folks. Yeah, they did. Like Nintendo quality back there. Yeah. <laughs> and Lisa announces that she's leaving him, which she should have fucking done either weeks or days or months ago. It's difficult to tell. Um and he has a screaming fit and remembers the good times. And this is maybe the best instance of someone tearing apart a room in a whole <laughs> film. Because he just sort of ambles around the room, ca casually, Not half heartedly things pushing things over. Just it like. reminds me of a cat exactly. pushing a mug yes. off a table. Yeah. <laughs> He's just flipping CDs and unsuccessfully smashing things <laughs> and just like pulling open drawers and tossing clothes out. I really And wanted, making a mess. I wanted to fully this scene just. It's so fucking childish. Until that is the bit with the dress. Oh god! Oh my god! And he's been remembering. He's been remembering the good times, and he in fact remembers sleeping with Lisa. And then he finds the dress, and he lies back on the bed. No, no, he's on the floor. 
Oh, he's on, on the, the floor. floor. I thought it was a mattress on the floor. No. No? No. He's pulled the sheets off the bed. Oh, that's it. Okay. So he lies on the floor. And what, what does he do, guys? <sighs> you guys... I, I, yeah, I... I, I think the best <laughs> description is that he dry humps the dress. That is the good... That is the best description. He goes... Ah! And just jams it against his crotch. Ah! Like, in case you were wondering, is this going to get any weirder? Oh, yep. it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's it's. I think this might be where it reaches maximum weird and like uncomfortable levels in the whole film. Like it's it like the maximum silly delivery as I did not hit her, but the fucking the dress is. I mean, it symbolizes the the virginal um, girl that he thought she was, which is why it should be white, but it's bright red and scarlet. You know. I, You're assuming subtext. There's no subtext. <laughs> no. What I think might have actually happened is he probably had the actress who played her standing right off the set while he did this. Now, she's oh, worn that. God. Oh. Never wearing that again. Oh. Well, no, because he tears it up. Because he tears so, it up. So he, <laughs> he finds the red dress. Yeah, that's the he, reason he why I'm not wearing that again. brings it to his face and goes, uh, you know, like, you oh, know, he sniffs it after he fucks ground, it. Humps it. And then he snaps it again! <laughs> on his cock and balls, and then he took a big win. It's like he needed to have that proof of dominance one last time. <laughs> like, I have it, it's mine. She should be grateful he didn't pee on it at oh, this point. Oh, God. Immediately after this... Like, rather than this being the thing that basically, like, dissipates his rage and hormones and just like, oh, he goes to the um, the small treasure chest, which has contained a gun in it all along and probably would have been a really great little, what the fuck's in there, had they ever shown it at any the treasure point. treasure box Link and, wishes he could find. And, uh, yeah, he's like, oh, happy dagger, f- here is your sheath. And um, blows his head off. Now, I know he saw Romeo plus Juliet, the uh, Baz Luhrmann one, so I think that's what he was thinking yeah. here. That The only way he could possibly end this massive melodrama for the ages was that this guy, too beautiful to live, betrayed by the world, just gives up and, uh, uh, and takes himself out in the most operatic fashion possible. Um, I do, again, as with cancer, I sure as fuck am not making light of suicide. It's one of the most serious personal things imaginable. I can say right now that Johnny was, sorry, the character of Johnny was very definitely depressed. Uh, And um, I can't actually treat this scene and scenario with the weight that uh, the actual, if, if this was just this scenario in real life, deserves. I can't. It's the flailings of like a teenage boy going, well, when I'm dead, everyone will know, everyone will care, and everyone will realize what they lost. <sighs> yeah. So for that- just seen him not only, you know, fucking a dress, but walking around and really half-assed, like, walk up to his mark, reach out, knock over thing. Did yeah. you get the shot? Because we're not reshooting it, because I already broke the thing. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just that. it's impossible to to take this as seriously as he clearly wanted us to because the whole yeah. thing is just so incredibly stupid. It's it's peak juvenile for this uh, this guy. It's it's a meltdown of the lowest order. I think it um, it also is just one of those things that, from a technical standpoint, there's a limit to how much I expect him to be able to do, but I don't hmm. think he knows how head wounds work at all. Be- yeah, because he like 
they do the whole thing where, you know, like he shoots himself in the mouth, I guess. Really, he just sort of leaned back and dropped the gun, like in slow motion. But then later, when we see the aftermath of this, it's like someone poured some, you know... Uh, strawberry jam! Yeah, like some no, wait, strawberry jam, jam on have... the ground behind syrup. him. Yeah, it was like syrup. It, it looked like pancake syrup that they just yeah. poured all over the ground behind him. But, like, his entire head's intact. Yeah. Like, there's well, no, I mean, like, bits there's... of bone or flesh or anything out there. It's just like he's... Oh, my God. Like, at this late stage, they were going to hire a makeup artist to actually do anything. They just well, no, what I, what I was telling Chewie was that... I thought maybe his idea going into this is that all those stupid roses were in this room so they could have, like, a single rose petal sitting in the blood to let us know he was too beautiful. And they don't even do that. <laughs> I mean, they're there, and I think he was sort of blushingly groping for that symbolism with the well, red like, he was crushing roses, roses a blood. second before. Like, he was angry. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. They just never made that one little bit of connection. You know, people say, some say, that roses can be a symbol of love. <laughs> I thought that was. Chocolate. I really thought they were trying to lead into this. It's another one. Why they have the flower shop scene, and that's why he's constantly around her with the roses and stuff. And like, no, we didn't even deliver it at the end. Yeah, no rose delivery. Uh, so Lisa comes in, cries over his fallen body. She is rather than, oh, what the fuck have you done to yourself? Which is what, the, like, the real character that we have seen established would say in real life. And then Mark comes in and like feels his like feels his finger or something and goes, Yep, he's dead. And then he roars at Lisa that she ruined everything. Get away from me! Well, first he kisses Denny... him on the forehead. No, no, that's Denny. No, that's Mark. Is that is that Mark? Yeah. Fucking hell. Oh god, that's creepy. And then I think that Mark should kiss me on the forehead. I'm not really sure about this, Tommy. <laughs> I then think that Mark should kiss him on the forehead. He's dead. He deserves it. Just one. You you promise just one kiss. Okay, Tommy. Yep. So Denny then comes in and freaks out, screaming at them. What's happening? Don't look, Denny. Johnny's dead. Wake up, Johnny, please. Please. It's not right. It's not right. And then my favorite line, possibly in the whole movie, leave us. Leave us. Because that is bone chilling. <laughs> what are the police going to find when they come in to find what Denny has done to Johnny's corpse? They're going to find an overage, underage drug dealer. Oh. Yeah. With a dead I guy mean, if, and a torn red at dress. Noth at noth if nothing else, that leave us is very Darth Vader. But like, leave us suggests he's got something in mind. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> but Mark like Mark takes one look at that and goes that can't be the weirdest line in the whole thing surely yeah, hold and my then beer. tells them he, with his parting shot he goes hold my beer as far as I'm concerned you can drop off the earth that's a promise and that's, that's a, a promise, promise. <laughs> no it isn't this is they could he's squarely placed all the blame on Lisa and absolved himself of it. he said you killed him. You're the cause of all this. Yep. Jesus. What? I've lost him, but I still have you, right? Right? You don't have me. You'll never have me. <laughs> killed him. Mark, we're free to be together. I love you. I love you. <laughs> 
You killed him. You're the cause of all of this. I don't love you. <laughs> Get out of my life, you bitch! For the record, this was a phone conversation that took place between Mark and Lisa not six minutes before this point. I love you. Why don't you ditch this creep? I don't like him anymore. I know, he's not worth it. Why don't I come up there and be with you? Sure, baby, come on up. I want your body. You got it. I'm on my way. Bye. Bye. So as Sharon said earlier, it takes two to tango, Mark. You big doofy chode. You made Tommy, sorry, Johnny, throw his toys out the pram. Sorry, TV out the window. <laughs> yeah, as this is happening, the police sirens are arriving, uh, are closing in, and obviously they never actually show police. Um, but uh, it, it's clear that because uh, they were downstairs, <laughs> they started the sirens as soon as they heard the gunshot. Um, they, they just said to Chris R., who was sitting in his cell, you going to be okay in here? Yeah, whatever. And then they went upstairs to deal with the, uh, the sadly dead way too early Tommy Weasel. Uh, sorry, Johnny. Johnny, the character of Johnny. I mean, if you want to talk about a Mary Sue, you want to talk about a Gary Sue, it's Johnny. Only he is, in, he is filled with flaws that he, as a writer, cannot see. Because they're his flaws. Yeah... He's a wooby. Yeah. So and it, it ends on "You are my rose, you are my rose, you are my rose" by Kitra Williams, which incidentally is music that played when uh, Mark and Lisa were making love, not Johnny and Lisa. So basically, it's like remember that wonderful relationship between Mark and Lisa, and like he doesn't even know what his music signified at this stage. Surely it should be "I would stand in the way of a bullet." It would have at least been more ironic. But no. And that thus ends the room. Entire audience of people who were not expecting that sit ashen-faced and go, Is it over? What the fuck did you just do to me? <laughs> that was not a good pornography at all. <laughs> oh yeah, right before the recycled sex scene, my date turns to me and says, Is this just a porn? Did you, did you bring me over here to watch porn? I was like, Because <laughs> if so, uh, you know, that's okay. To finish off, a few choice excerpts from the book The Disaster Artist by Greg Sestero and Tom Bissell. This is all Greg's words. On the first day of the room's production, it was my job to make sure Tommy got up and onto set... Uh, to the set on time. This would remain my job for the entirety of filming, during which Tommy was routinely three to four hours late. In my defense, Tommy's interior clock is more attuned to the circadian frequencies of a bat or a possum than a man. He typically goes to bed around six or seven in the morning and gets up about three or four in the afternoon, yet he was insisting on morning shoots for the room. After quitting my job at French Connection, I parked my luminaire in Tommy's driveway, walked through the front door, which was ajar, and called his name. No answer. There was a kettle of boiling water on his stove, whistling away. I took the nearby, nearly empty kettle off and went upstairs. Tommy's bedroom door was closed, but I heard him make a few grumbly noises, one of which sounded like, Five minutes! I went back downstairs and sat on the couch, in which I found a note for, to, to me from him that said, You will receive majority of candy, 95%, when completion of production. I'm not Santa Claus. Candy was Tommy's unusually creepy slang for money. It was typical Tommy behavior to delay revealing an agreement's fine print until after the handshake. 
After 20 minutes, I went back upstairs and knocked on his door. Five minutes, Tommy said again. <clears throat> I realized sitting on his couch that there was a pretty significant loophole in Tommy's payment plan. What if we never completed production? He offered Greg an obscene amount of money to basically be in this film. Uh, and Greg, To be the line producer. To be the line point. producer of this film. And Greg was like, okay, I'll do your stupid film for you. Basically, his rationale was that if he took the money for this particular project, that would enable him to keep uh, persisting with auditions and trying to get proper acting work, which he pretty much given up on just prior to this. Hmm. Uh, Tommy briefly appeared on the staircase looking disheveled. <laughs> he always looks disheveled. We take your car, okay? Okay, I said, but why? Because these people talk if they see my car. He started heading back to his room. These people talk. This is the thing that terrifies them the most. We're late, I said. When will you be ready to go? Five minutes, he said. Soon I was lying down on the couch. Tommy's plan was kind of ingenious when I thought about it. How better to way to incentivize my involvement in the film? How else to convince me to wait on his couch for an hour after he told me he'd only be five minutes? What was Tommy doing? Primping, getting dressed, getting undressed, reprimping, doing pull-ups, getting dressed, primping again, falling asleep. At one point, I marched up the stairs to inform Tommy that he couldn't be two hours late on the first day of filming his own movie. But before I could give him a blast of tough love truth, Tommy walked out of his bedroom wearing white surgery. See, I know what a blast of tough love truth from Greg Sestero is like. It's like, hey, man, we kind of got to, you know, we really got to hit the road, Tommy. I mean, you know, people are going to be waiting and no, it's OK. Five minutes. He is such a fucking pushover. Tommy walked out of his bedroom wearing white surgical gloves stained to the wrist with black hair dye. Tommy had actually decided to re-dye his hair before heading over to the set. I went back downstairs and started watching Spy Game. Tommy had hundreds of DVDs scattered all over the floor. Not sure he watched many of them. By the time Spy Game was over, Tommy was ready to go. We were four hours late now and we hadn't even stopped at 7-Eleven for Tommy's customary five cans of Red Bull. I think this could be deemed an inauspicious beginning. Five cans of Red Bull and yet he always looks sleepy. That doesn't make any sense. Wait a minute. I love Spy Game, but that is not a short movie. Two hours and seven yeah. minutes. Um, this is after he's agreed to uh, work in... Um, so he's agreed to stay in uh, Tommy's apartment. It was earlier than this. I was almost asleep when I heard Tommy step around me. This is the first night of, of living with Tommy Rizzo. Mm. He stepped around me and closed his bedroom door. The shower spat to life a moment later, and he began to belting out Aladdin's A Whole New World! <laughs> I listened to the throb of the air conditioner, the whooshing of passing traffic outside, and thought about how easily I could get used to this space. It felt right. I could live here, and it was so central. But I, I still didn't know how Tommy managed to afford life in two different cities, as he put it. What did he really do? I was moving past the last drowsy checkpoint before sleep when Tommy's bedroom door opened. <clears throat> I couldn't open my eyes at first, but I could sense Tommy watching me from his door jam. I squinted my eyes open. Tommy was in a tank top and sweatpants. His toothbrush was in his mouth. His hair was wet. Hey, he said. Yo, are you comfortable? Do you need anything? Sleeping process? I blinked at him. What? Are you fine? Yeah, I said. I was falling asleep. I put my arm over my eyes to block the light. Tommy lingered there for a moment longer. <laughs> at last, he started to close the bedroom door, but stopped before it clicked shut. Then I heard the bed springs accepting Tommy's weight and the dry, papery sound of sheets being pulled, pillows rearranged, churning, restless silence followed, and then a strange silence as I began drifting back to sleep, and I thought I heard Tommy say in a high, sing-song pitch, Somebody's chicken! Somebody's chicken? 
I'd just pretend I'd never heard it. It was probably just Tommy being Tommy, right? Don't worry about it. It didn't matter. Moments later, I could hear Tommy snoring. Fucking hell. I mean, as it transpires, Greg doesn't go into it in too much detail, but they shared a very close relationship and... um, manifestly Tommy was to some degree which he might not be able to accept then or now infatuated with Greg Sustero who he found very pretty and agreeable company and Greg pretty much said everything to what Tommy suggested so basically he was playing Beavis to Tommy's butthead <laughs> I roll <laughs> this is gonna be cool what a story, Mark. Yeah, you can say that again. I hadn't seen the room's interior sets in anything resembling finished shape, so I said I headed over to Burns and Sawyer's small studio space to have a look. Several crew members, who as a favour to Anway were working below their normal rates under the assumption that the film was low budget, were staring daggers into the $6,000 private bathroom Tommy had constructed for himself near the back of the stage. This bathroom had everything, separate plumbing, extra soft toilet paper, a vanity mirror, a sink. One thing it didn't have was a door. Instead, it had a little blue curtain for a petition. (laughs) This was weird for so many reasons. For one, Burns and Sawyer had a clean, roomy bathroom facility 80 feet away from Tommy's little toilet ego shrine. (laughs) For another, was he really going to void his bowels in the middle of the studio, separated from the people with whom he was working only by a flimsy curtain? (laughs) One of the crew hissed, what is a private bathroom doing in here? This guy had enough money to build his own bathroom. Why doesn't he just use the normal bathroom like everyone else? That's fucking ridiculous. With what we're being paid, that is fucking ridiculous. I'm totally shitting in that thing every time he's not looking. <laughs> I, just, I, like the, I, I pictured at that point the absurd, the image of, of Tommy's little Cuban-heeled shoes, like with his pants around his ankles, like just grinding one out to just like clacking them away like Austin Powers and and people could just see that he's shitting while they're uh, drinking their coffee and just having to turn their backs on this toilet <laughs> he doesn't live in our world it would appear this was Tommy's commercial for his jeans outfitters which he threw together really quickly in order to get Screen Actors Guild membership imagine Tommy dressed in Elizabethan garb going down an escalator chronically misinterpreting the bard with every word. To be or not to be? That is the question. The answer to be is street fashion. Be there for Levi's jeans. Street Fashions has the best prices, the best quality, and the best selection of Levi's jeans anywhere. Be who you want to be in Levi's jeans from Street Fashions. To be or not to be? Who do you want to be? On a side note, Alan Silvestri, composer of the Back to the Future trilogy soundtrack, will be in touch. Right, I've got one for one of you guys to read about um, when Greg moved in first with Tommy. Oh, God. Um, I called Tommy the night before we were supposed to head to L.A. to see what time he wanted to leave. Instead of hearing his usual outgoing message, I heard this. Hi, babyface. I'm not around until 10 <laughs> But I call you later. Babyface, derived from something Tommy had said on the fly in a class a few weeks ago when comparing my face to his during a rant about what type we were acting wise. I have potato face. Oh. (laughs) I have potato face. Your face is delicate like a baby face. He'd never used it as a nickname, though. I hope this would be the first and last time. 
It wasn't. I Oh, God. I had told my mother I was going to L.A. with Tommy. She'd managed to hold her tongue until the morning of our departure. You're crazy to be doing this, she said over and over. I counted- Are you guys imagining her as Claudette? Because it feels like Tommy yes. wrote her as Claudette. Oh. Look, Claudette, Claudette as her. I counted. Because she is very domineering, and that actually does play in with uh, uh, Greg's um, the, uh, mental makeup. He's escaping his domineering mother for a domineering roommate who basically has dictated the course of his life. And wants. He's famous for being in this fucking film. And wants to put it in his belly button. <laughs> I countered that she had to trust me just this once and let me find my way. She heard me out but wasn't convinced. It's just crazy, she said. <laughs> you realize this, mon cher, yes? That you're crazy? I hope this trip is not your end. My end? My end, I wanted to tell her. My real end, not his bell end, would be <laughs> never trying anything, not taking any risks, and working a job I had zero passion for. I can feel him there. Yeah. I reassured her that I'd be back in less than 36 hours. I hadn't decided <laughs> he that wasn't. he never saw his mother again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting in this car with this very, very strange man. I hadn't decided if I was moving to L.A. or not. I'd call her every hour if she wanted me to. She drove me to the Walnut Creek BART station. I'm guessing that's like a Sheets or a 7-Eleven or something. Where Tommy yeah. was picking me up. He was, of course, late. And as the time piled up, one swollen gray minute atop the other, my mother sat there and detailed the many ways in which my one day in Los Angeles was going to wreck my life forever. I had never been so relieved to see Tommy as when his bends finally floated into that parking lot. <laughs> oh, my mother followed me to Tommy's car like a shadow. I started to say something to her, but she looked at me with such intensity that I knew I couldn't stop her. I owed her the courtesy of letting her speak to Tommy directly. Tommy obviously wasn't expecting my mother to be waiting with me, and he powered down his window with the queasy, smiling nervousness of an inveterate speeder welcoming the arrival of a California state trooper. He kept looking at me, but I couldn't save him. He was going to have to endure this. <laughs> My mother didn't bother reintroducing herself. Are you going to L.A., Tommy? She asked him. When my mother said Tommy, it sounded like Tommy. With a rise at the end so sharp you could jump a bike off it. <laughs> Tommy? She's, uh, I believe, actually French in uh, uh, ex extraction. Which would be where the mon cher came from. Mon cher, okay, yeah. So... Casual French thrown in there. Uh, you wouldn't think it from listening to the very Napoleon Dynamite voice of Grace Astero. <laughs> Yes, Tommy said, I am. We are. We are going. He was, unpromisingly, <laughs> stuttering from sheer nervousness. My mother nodded. Perhaps you can wait to go until next week so I can join you. Oh, God. Oh, fuck, no. That's a road trip and a half. Poor Greg. Imagine it. Like, I can imagine him sandwiched between the two oh, of them. God. He is in his early 20s at this point, isn't yeah. he? He's like 19. He's, he's still younger than Denny when they started filming. So, yeah. Uh, he's a boy. All right. Uh, da, 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 da. So, okay, so like, uh, just just to, to make this clearer, Denny is a boy that Tommy Johnny is taking under his wing to look after him. <gasps> you, you not figured that one out? 
Mm. Demi is how he sees Greg as a as a young boy. Mark is how he sees Greg as a slightly older man, but also like he's repositioned him as the guy that he can fuck or at least wants and to, Lisa but doesn't want to admit it. And Lisa is how he sees the element of Greg who's betrayed him. Yeah, basically, when he looks in Greg's eyes, he sees that Greg wants to get away, but Greg won't admit it. And this whole movie basically is about trying to get Greg Sestero to admit that he's desperate to get away from Johnny, Tommy, Jesus. Oh my god. He's turned uh, Greg Sestero into this three-headed goddess. That's god goddess. That's yeah. kind of hot. Two male heads and one female. That is. Yeah. Yeah. And he wants to have a, a a foursome with him. Right in all four belly buttons. Uh, yep. <laughs> all right. Perhaps you could wait to go until next week so I can join you. No, I'm sorry. I have to go now. I have a meeting there. People waiting for me. She didn't even bother pretending to believe him. Tommy, I'm a little bit concerned because I'm looking at your eyes and they are completely red. It's obvious you haven't slept. Well, I don't know what to say about that. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about haven't slept. Yeah, I'm kind of gonna. You're going to drive like this? I'm okay. He put his arms up, smiling. He knew better than to tell my mother that I drove his car. (laughs) My mother stared at him with... Pro- well, that's a good word. I, Prosecutorial. That is a very good word. Uh, Tommy, how old are you? I'm 28. She, Bullshit. She didn't believe this either. <laughs> no one on planet Earth would have believed this. Is that so, Tommy? Maybe then you could tell me why you want to help my son. I think he's a cool guy. <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> I can't. Well, that's uh-huh. very interesting because I'm very concerned, Tommy. Where are you going to stay in L.A.? I have my place. It's fine. We go for one day. Is it safe, Tommy? I just don't feel good about this. Mom, I said. Mom, come on. God. (laughs) (laughs) My mother looked at me. She breathed very deeply as though letting go of something, which was, I guess, me. Then she looked back at Tommy. Be careful, Tommy. Please. I will. Tommy, don't hurt my son. (laughs) Jesus Jesus. Christ. I put my hand over my eyes. The worst thing Tommy could do in response to this request, I thought, would be to chuckle creepily. I would not, Tommy said, chuckling creepily. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. This next – are you serious? And one more thing, Tommy. One more thing. No sex, Tommy. Okay? Are we clear? Mom. Mom. Well, wait. Well, we all do. Who said that? She did. I think no, no, she no, did. That's Tommy. I think that's Tommy. No. Really? Oh, God, it is. Yeah. Well, we all do. No sex, Tommy. Yep. Are we clear? Mom, well, we all do. Ooh. My mother looked at him coldly for a minute. Then she took a step toward him. What was that, Tommy? Tommy shrugged, beginning to panic. You know, we all do. I'm afraid I don't know what this means, but I think you understand me now. Translation, if you touch my son, I will kill you. She walked away without saying goodbye. It took me a... She sized him up immediately. <laughs> it took me a long, painful moment to accept that my mother had just asked another man not to have sex with me. I got into Tommy's car, emotionally concussed. Once, yep, once my mother was gone, he whirled on me. What the heck was that? She's crazy. Your mother's off the wall. Crazy. My God. No sex. What a story. What a story. What a story. <laughs> what a story, Mark. Oh, my God. <sighs> okay. Um, do, do you guys want a couple more of these? About that is 
much like the room, everything about that passage I just read is off. <laughs> it's wrong. These are not real people. <laughs> Clues, you go next. This basically is the infamous, I did not hit her, like brilliantly and comedically uh, redone in the um, Disaster Artist trailer. But this is kind of what was happening on the day. Okay. In the original draft of the room script, the stage direction reads, Johnny opens the door to the roof access. Mark is sitting there. Tommy had decided this wasn't dramatic or emotional enough especially now that he'd rewritten his script to include scenes in which Lisa claims to others that Johnny has abused her. To establish that Johnny is incapable of abuse, Tommy concocted a new opening for the scene, in which Johnny steps onto the rooftop saying, It's not true! I did not hit her! It's bullshit! I did not! After which comes this. Oh, hi, Mark. There are 17 words in this sequence. Eleven of them are non-recurring. Only one carries the burden of a second syllable. In other words, these are not terribly difficult lines to learn. Sandy had blocked the scene so that Tommy would emerge from the the outhouse. I assume that's what they called it. Sandy, by the way, is... is yeah, the little shed yeah. thing. Sandy, by the way, is Seth Rogen. Like, you want to change the line, buddy? Uh, Sandy had blocked the scene so that Tommy would emerge from the outhouse, hit his mark on the second I did not, look up, nail his eyelon, say, oh, hi, Mark, and walk off camera to where we, the audience, imagine Mark to be sitting. Most school plays contain scenes that pose bigger technical acting challenges. Tommy couldn't remember his lines. He couldn't hit his mark. He couldn't say mark. He couldn't walk. He couldn't find his eye line. He would emerge from the outhouse mumbling, lost and disoriented. He looked directly into the camera. He swore. He exploded at at a crew member for farting. Please don't do this ridiculous stuff. It's disgusting like hell. <laughs> it's insane. This is, this is the same guy who had the bathroom with the curtain erected. <laughs> yes, he's there shitting his pants right in front of everyone. Sandy stood there so open-mouthed that it looked as if he were waiting for someone to lob something something nutritive at him. Finally, Tommy commanded me to sit off camera, hoping hoping that my uh, becoming his living eye line would help him. It didn't. Oh, God. No, because he's just gazing at him and going, oh, man, I feel so complex about you. Everything became infectiously not funny funny. People were turning away from the set, their faces constipated with laughter they dared not release. Tommy didn't notice any of this. He was locked into a scene and a moment he couldn't bring to life. It was as horrifyingly transfixing as watching a baby crawl across the 405 freeway. We were all waiting for a miracle. It took Tommy 30 minutes to feel comfortable enough to walk down the outhouse's two steps without staring at his feet. It took another 30 minutes for him to take those two steps while also remembering his lines. With time and effort, he got the walking-talking aspect of his performance down, but doing all this while hitting his mark and looking at me remained a grand fantasy. Sandy kept saying, Now you need to look up when you say hi to Mark. Tommy would nod. Yes, indeed. Exactly what he needed to do. He would try and try again. I did not. Look up. Oh, hi, Mark. Up, up. Sandy stopped everything and took Tommy aside. He tried to reason with him, as though Tommy's understanding and not Tommy's ability were the real problem. You have to look at Mark when you say the line, okay? Because right now you're, you're looking down. Okay, Tommy said. He'd rehearsed this moment for half the day, and this was the result. 
Soon, the cameraman was laughing so hard that his camera started to shake during takes. (laughs) (laughs) Sandy decided to watch some VHS playbacks to see if there was anything, anything at all usable. I was still sitting off camera, feeling as though I'd been dosed with something potent. Tommy came over to me, looking worried. How am I doing? He asked. Give me feedback. Something. It was a genuine request. I felt sorry for him at that moment. I knew how hard he was trying. I also knew that being a dramatic actor was the most important thing to Tommy. Everything he'd done in life was to get to this point. How could I help him? I had no idea. You're doing great. I'll just pause you for a moment there. I'll, I'll pause you for a moment. There were actually many people on the film set who were, like had allusions to be like they were professionals they they you know they they were like decent workaday filmmakers who were only shit at what they were doing because they were trammeled so repeatedly by tommy's um requirements of them at all times that's why some bit like that that uh that michael bay shot was actually competent because possibly tommy wasn't there pulling their strings at that point um but it was that dedication to trying to get a workable piece of like just like we need to get you saying words so that we can use them for the film rather than just going let's just dub over him saying that and just slapdash throwing it out that's kind of the difference between it just being a bad film and it being a nanar you're doing great i said but the obvious peril tommy was in that the whole production was now in had broken through his vanity For once, Tommy wanted something more than chummy assurance. How, Tommy asked again, more insistently, am I doing? Don't pull my legs. (laughs) Both of them. I looked around, thinking, props, because props always helped Tommy. They took his mind off trying to act. I saw a nearby water bottle and grabbed it. Here, I said, handing the bottle to Tommy. Use this. You know what you're supposed to do, right? So do it. What do you always tell me? Show more emotion. Tommy smiled in pure, holy relief. Why didn't you tell me emotion? My God, that's easy part. Now you see why I need you here? These other people don't care. He immediately started peeling off the water bottle sticker because nothing scared Tommy more than having to pay someone for permission to use a logo. Tommy is probably the world's single most copyright-obsessed human being who does not also have a law degree. <laughs> Sandy joined, joined us on the side of the rooftop set. He looked for a long time at Tommy's water bottle before speaking. What's this? Water bottle, Tommy said. Sandy took in a lungful of deep, calming breath. Yes. He said. I know. What are we doing with it? I need something, damn it, during scene. No, I need to throw something, damn it, during scene. Sandy turned away, <sighs> removed his glasses, sat down, and rubbed his eyes. Tommy headed back to the outhouse, his water bottle in hand and his script hidden in his breast pocket. I sat down. Sandy stood by the monitor. Action! The door flew open and there was Tommy holding his water bottle and stepping out of the outhouse, hitting his head on the door jam so hard <laughs> it took 20 minutes of <laughs> it took 20 minutes to ice the bump and conceal it with makeup. Wow. I heard one <laughs> I heard one of the cameramen say desperately How are we ever going to get this? It's impossible. We'll be here forever. And they were. And they were. Uh, Okay, Uh, I think, I 
think that's pretty much it. Let me just give me one more uh, run through these because uh, some of them are just uh, some of them are just being uh, Tommy being mean to the uh, poor actress playing Lisa. Some of them are just incidentals. Um, to, 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 this thing is about the, uh, the, the the camera being shot on two different f- sorts of film. With one careless gesture, Tommy threw a century of prevailing film production-wise wisdom into the wind. Probably the most wasteful and pointless aspect of the room's production was Tommy's decision to simultaneously shoot his movie with both a 35 millimeter camera, film camera, and a high-definition HD camera. In 2002, an HD and 35 million, uh, millimeter film camera cost around $250,000 combined. The lenses ran from 20000 to 40 40,000 apiece. And of course, you had to hire an entirely different crew to operate this stuff. Tommy had a mount constructed that was able to accommodate both the 35mm camera and HD camera at the same time, meaning Tommy needed two different crews and two different lighting systems on set at all times. This is where it's so, uh, it feels like it's been constructed from loads of different people doing one scene each because it's so, like, it's all over the place of them having to constantly like change what they're doing to suit which camera's there and, and like get used to these two different systems. Um, Tommy was doing this because he wanted to be the first filmmaker to ever do so. He never stopped to ask himself why no one else had tried. And the thing is, like, he wasn't the first person that did this. The Blair Witch Project had two completely different cameras and it was done a lot easier with just two people holding cameras. The best description I ever heard of Tommy was that he looks like one of the anonymous, oozy-looking goons who appeared for two seconds in a Jean-Claude Van Damme film before getting kicked off a catwalk. (laughs) That's what Tommy looks like now, sans oozy. This particular day, he was wearing tennis shoes, black slacks, a loose and billowy dark blue dress shirt and sunglasses, his hair secured in a ponytail by his favourite purple scrunchie. As we walked from the car to the set, he was yelling in every direction. Why are you standing around like a Statue of Liberty? You, do your job. You move those here. And you film operators, don't touch anything for HD. Be delicate. We need to hurry. There is no time for a waste. Everyone stared back at him with expressions that said, Are you fucking kidding me? Tommy was ludicrously late for his own shoot, and his first leadership step was to hassle the crew. It was not a hot day, but already I was sweating. This was on the day when he had had gone and dyed his hair, and they were four hours late. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, and I am aware I made his voice sound a little bit like um, Scarlet Witch there, so I do apologise. Peter Anwar had worked hard to convince Tommy that the production would need a script supervisor. In terms of emotional coherence and dramatic logic, Tommy's script may as well have been written in crayon. Tommy wanted to make sure the room was legitimately in the eyes of Burns and Sawyer. These are the people that he was hiring the cameras from and using the parking lot of for filming. So Raphael Schmadger brought his old friend Sandy Schlaire, who's uh, Seth Rogen, in to meet Tommy. Sandy had 25 years of experience in film and television, most of it in script supervising capacity. With his untucked flowered shirt, salic moustache and hefty glasses, Sandy looked about as non-LA as was possible to look. He was friendly and funny most of the time, though his work in the room nearly drove him mad. Years later, Sandy would claim to have directed the lion's share of the room, which is a bit like claiming to have been the Hindenburg's principal aeronautics engineer. (laughs) Sandy later told me his uh, first thought when he met Tommy was to wonder why his arctic skin didn't sizzle when it came into contact with direct sunlight. He figured Tommy was probably some spoiled wild child from an oil-rich Bulgarian family who had been paid by his parents to vocate the motherland and never come back. In them, this is what the kernel of the idea that I was like. This, oh, I just, I just elaborated on that. In their meeting, when Tommy described the room to Sandy, Raphael, who had already signed on, was standing off to the side out of Tommy's line of sight with his hands pressed prayerfully together, silently begging Sandy to come aboard. To Sandy, Tommy seemed delusional, inexperienced, and rich. 
So why not? Um, Incidentally, the last note that I have written down was my wife, while watching the credits, said, and I quote, there was a script supervisor? (laughs) I think that would be Sandy, yes. Um, Also in the credits, Tommy Wiseau, assistant to Mr. Wiseau, there were five of them, one of which was actually Greg Sestero. (laughs) I assume four of them were fired. Yeah, he was... He was Johnny's all kind of assistant. We neared the apartment complex, and I saw the palm trees and the swept sidewalks and the handsome security gate, and caught myself thinking, this is actually a good start. Only then did I realize how dire my expectations had grown over the course of this very long day. Tommy said he would recite to me the security code he'd written down earlier. While he recited the numbers, I was supposed to type them in. The security code was this, one, two, three, four. I asked Tommy why he bothered writing that down. Tommy responded that he wrote it down because he could never remember it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and I think that's the last bombshell we can possibly lay upon you guys. We've gone for twice as long as we should have with this. But it is twice as weird as any other film. No. Like... You, you like you go through one film, you could talk about what happens, but there's so much in this. As it turns out, Tommy Rizzo has his own website full of merchandise, where you can buy the aforementioned Tommy Rizzo underpants. I would imagine he smells very strongly of cologne, but underneath that, there's a musky undertone that's impossible to get out of your clothes. <laughs> or your brain. Uh, you can also buy uh, Tommy Tommy Planet Jacket. Uh, he spelt jacket J A C E K T. Is that how they spell it in Bulgaria? With hoodie and three packets designed by Tommy Wiseau. Designed by Tom T Wiseau. T O M M T Y. Okay, Tommy, tell me you can spell your own name. Good lord. The, the lack of oversight for this suggests uh, how could he put a website together? Again, this is why I rule out that he's part of a massive criminal organization, because there is one operative word in that, and that is organized. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's, he's decidedly disorganized, and that will define him. However, I am really looking forward to the disaster artist film. Very much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A movie about the story, about the making of the movie that is a love story for the ages... Only nobody in this film understands what love is. I don't think anyone in this film can spell. (laughs) (laughs) Tommy can't spell Tommy, so you may be right on that. (laughs) Okay, so this was The Room, directed by Tom (laughs) Tiwizo. Oh, God, thank you guys so much for coming on. And where can people find you if they want to like uh, come and check your stuff out? Oh, Lord. You can find me anywhere on the internet where it says The Mana Pool. So there's the the podcast, which is primarily about Magic the Gathering, and YouTube, where I do video game Let's Plays, and Twitch, where I stream video games and um, that sort of thing. So, yeah, come come hang out. I'm also on Monday Night Magic with all three of these goons. Well, me and the other two goons. The... Hey, Clues, where are you? Uh, I'm in places and also stuff. Yeah, you can find me on Monday Night Magic, of <laughs> course, uh, pretty much every week. I also do another podcast. Uh, it's called Random Discard, uh, where me and my co-host talk about, well, random geeky stuff. 
So if you're into this stuff, not this movie, but Alex's stuff, it might be interesting to you. Uh, <laughs> but we don't we don't talk about the room there, thank God. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone ever needs to talk about it again. I think we covered it so thoroughly. Yeah, so you can you can find that at randomdiscard.com. That's our website, mm. um, and uh, that's that's about it. And, uh, folks, you got a homework assignment. It's nothing to do with the room. You'll be very happy to know um, that. But in the next couple of uh, weeks, we are going to be covering uh, the first of Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy. Uh, in the UK, it's called Northern Lights. In America, it is called The Golden Compass, which is a name the uh, disappointing film shares. Our podcast was on the book and the film, and what the reasons why it's such a... I mean, we called our child Lyra. That's how important this book series is to us. That's the name of the uh, central female protagonist. And uh, they only ever made this one bland film. And we're going to be talking all about the book and its adaptation. So uh, probably best to read the book first and then go in so that like you can really get the granular level that we're talking at okay so thank you guys very very much for coming on this show it has been one of the most epic in-depth ones we've ever done without ever really getting boring for us at least i god god knows if it got boring for folks at home i know a bunch of people must have turned <laughs> off and if you're still around then the yeah tell you what i'm going to give you one of those uh, old school passwords where it's like you got to the very end of the show so um uh, oh, yeah, I tell you what, oh, hashtag OHA. So you're tweeting at me, you go, uh, yeah, absolutely love the room show, Alex. OHA. Oh, hi, Alex. God. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, uh, the little secret password that tells me that you have got all the way to the end of this fucking bloated epic. And a special huge thank you to our $15 sponsors this month. That's Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Abel Savard, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, David Garcia Abril, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisham. And if you're on the Patreon and you're at the $5 level or above, you can get nearly an hour of extra footage culled from this room podcast. It might sound like you're like, oh, I'm done with this. But if you want a little bit more, like in the next few days, you're like, I, I wonder what else they said. There were a bunch of tangents we went off into and it got very silly. So, uh, yeah, that is on the bonus section of the Patreon available to everyone at $5 and up levels. And those levels, of course, get you access to a whole gamut of extra materials, including deleted stuff in our cutting class episodes, and my quick reviews of pretty much everything that I see in the cinema this year that doesn't get a major podcast for it. We always try to give you guys good value for money as a thank you for supporting us. Because if anyone is our Rose, it's you. Leave your stupid comments in your pocket. Oh, don't listen to him. We like comments. So I have been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's Out.
What kind of movie are we going to see? Well, we'll see... Danny, don't plan too much. It may not come out right. All right. Let's toss the ball around. Anything for my princess.